Welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. We are recording this on the second to last day of January, already one month through the year 2023. My good friend and co-host of this uh, podcast, Travis Krenz, the sports director at KORN Radio there in Mitchell, South Dakota, joins me as always. Travis, how you doing? How's 2023 been for you? How's it been? Oh, been pretty good. 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 Not a whole going through been pretty normal. Been, uh, yeah, a month in, say, uh, we're, we're about average, average right now. All right, very good. Um, let's see, uh, it was cold, uh, it's, it's cold right now, uh, not quite as cold as, uh, what they were maybe forecasting here, but, uh, no real snow in the forecast and stuff, so that's very good. Um, let's just... We're about, well, we're, we're six weeks, maybe less than six weeks from summer league tournament. Yes. Yep. And we've had, you know, 50-plus degree days during that tournament, so... Even 60. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in the back half of winter here, and, you know, we're, we're almost done. We're almost done with it, so, you know. Summit League Tournament, though, always means weird weather on at least one of the days. And that weird weather could be extremely warm temperatures. I mean, it doesn't have to be always stormy or rainy, snowy conditions. It just means weird weather in some sort of fashion um so it's usually not 35 to 40 degrees it's either a blizzard that shuts out in the interstate or it's 60 or it's 50 mile an hour winds like what i uh, had to drive you had to drive back into uh, one time yeah. yes yeah that, that that sucked that sucked uh, let's begin, though, with the... Uh, we have the Super Bowl matchup. It is... Uh, and guess what? I picked both teams wrong last week. Shocking. Uh, it is the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Which game should we start with first? Uh, be that, uh, that AFC game. All right. That was a uh, clearly the better of the two games. And... Um, Neither game. Very intense. Yes. Uh, you know what else is intense? Camping. Camping is intense. So. Also, it's also the circus. Sometimes. Yes. Yep. And the high V tent sale every once in a while. <laughs> but this game, uh, clearly the better of the two games. This is a clear rivalry now. Uh, and it's going to be one for many years to come, as long as Joe Burrow and, and Patrick Mahomes are slinging it for their respective teams. But this game, just like the NFC Championship game, marred by officiating snafus and egregious mistakes. The Kansas City Chiefs win 23-20. to um, for, for those of us who were maybe skeptical of Patrick Mahomes playing on a, a high ankle sprain, he played great. Absolutely fantastic. He had one miscue. It was a well. He was off with several throws, but given the high ankle sprain, he did very well overall. Were you as surprised as I think a lot of people were with how well Mahomes played in this game? No, like he could. It got worse as the game went on. He didn't get a shot, like I talked about last week. So that's good. Like, it doesn't appear to be that bad, all things considered, when they say, you know, he'd be oh, he'd be out of a couple weeks or a three to three to six week injury or at least a couple weeks and like he was walking around fine earlier in the week and I'm sure he'll be pretty good during the Super Bowl and he could not run around as much as he usually does. That was really the only difference. 
He threw for 300 yards, over 300 yards. And yeah, the fumble was awful. A couple of bad throws. That's, but he played, he played fine. That and, touchdown uh, pass to Marquez uh, Valdez-Scantling was sensational. For him to be like throw it on essentially one leg and fire it in there for that touchdown to put the Chiefs up 20-13 to 13 was remarkable. He played well. I don't think he didn't play out of his mind. I said he played okay. I mean, they, they scored 10 points in the second half. Yep. Like the Chiefs, I don't think they do a good job of closing games out. I would agree with that. Like, what was it, 13-3? to Yep. And they intercepted Burrow near midfield, and there were about two minutes to go in the yep. first half. And uh, you can, 20-3, to you can, 16-3, to you can make this a uh, you know, two-touchdown game at least, if not a three-score game. And they just could never put this team away. And... I- it was close the entire second half. I completely agree with you. I thought that's when the game kind of changed in favor of Cincinnati there for a while, or like where you felt the momentum shift was after that interception. And the Chiefs, with two plus minutes to go, you can run the clock down. Maybe Cincinnati takes a timeout or two on the backside of the two minute warning. We'll we'll see what happens there. But they go pass, pass, pass. They don't even try and run. Now, granted. The Chiefs couldn't run all night. Jarek McKinnon had issues. Isaiah Pacheco was their best option, but even he struggled apart from that touchdown run that got called back with a, for a holding penalty at the end of the first quarter. Um, but they couldn't run. But I was a little surprised that they didn't try and run the football there to, to take the time down and maybe get in range for Harrison Butker to make a field goal at the end of the half to get up or to be up no worse than 16-3. to Neither team seemed interested in running the ball whatsoever. Yeah. Joe Mixon Even was very quiet. in the other game, but also in the other game. I thought the 49ers should have ran the ball more than they did somehow. Yep. Uh, Chiefs ran it 20 times for 42 yards. Cincinnati ran it 17 for 71. So Cincinnati had a little bit more success. Um, yeah, but the Chiefs, I mean, picking... Edwards Alaire a couple of years ago. Like, they just don't run the ball. They just don't. You know who they could have had? T. Higgins. Yeah, they could have had T. Higgins instead. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, he's, he's fine, but 10 carries, 26 yards. They just don't. And 43 passes. And they were they never trailed. And you would have thought they would have ran the ball more because their quarterback hurts. Mm-hmm. No, he threw it. They, they passed the ball 60-plus percent of the time. But maybe they had to throw it because they couldn't generate any yards on the ground. Um, but I agree that in the first half there, I, I, I'll say this. For the first half of that game, you know, you heard all week, you know, and even at the end of that Bills game uh, between the Bengals and, and Buffalo, oh, we're going to see you next week in Burrowhead. And they were talking about, yeah, we got this. And the mayor of Cincinnati is talking about uh, that Patrick Mahomes needs to take a paternity test because Joe Burrow is his daddy and declared it like, we play them day on Sunday and who day nation. Is, like, he kind of took it up a whole nother level that I don't, like, that really, I think, got under the skin of the Chiefs, as you could tell by the post game. <laughs> comments but they came out so fast i mean they had four sacks in the first 16 17 minutes of this game um 
I mean, it was it was remarkable how well uh, like Chris Jones played and uh, Clark Frank Clark. I mean, they were just all over Burrow early on, and I think you could tell they were just coming in with a whole new energy. They were angry, uh, and the Bengals adjusted to their credit. I mean, they were down three starting offensive linemen, but uh, they made the adjustments. Joe Burrow ended up, you know, riding the ship there, at least in the second quarter. They got some more yards, and they eventually tied this game up twice, two different times in the second half. But right away, Kansas City set the tone, I thought, with the way they were able to dominate the line of scrimmage on the defensive side of the ball in that first quarter. Well, it goes to show off was the conditions in Buffalo, but the Bills' pass rush is terrible. Yeah. Considering that, the Bengals figured it out after the first quarter, and they did a lot better. But, yeah, the offensive line was a big issue in that uh, – Throughout the game, especially in the first quarter, uh, there's a stat, Joe Burrow, when he sacked five times or more, that's the key number for him. See if I can get the exact number, but Joe Burrow's like one, one in eight. Uh, when he's been sacked five plus times or more. That would make sense. I'm guessing he's at, he was at least 0-2 then this year because I know he got sacked like six or seven times against Pittsburgh in the opener. Gets sacked five times uh, against Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. I feel like Dallas probably got to him a bunch in week two as well. When he doesn't get sacked, he's very good. So yep. five is the key number. It seems, yeah, they got like three or four sacks right away uh, with that. So, this this may sound dumb, but what's it, the Chiefs are like 8-1 and one in their last nine playoff games at home. Okay. But it's like, what, what's so difficult about playing in Kansas City? It's loud. They beat the Bengals by fits. It's noisy. Yep. The Chiefs are good. They beat the Bengals by three. They beat Jacksonville last week by seven. They lost last year to Cincinnati by three in overtime. Mm-hmm. They beat the Bills in a great game last year in overtime by six. Yep. They were, weren't they down to Cleveland a couple, two years ago? Yep. In that divisional playoff game, they beat them 22-17. That was very close. Yep. They're down to Houston 24 nothing in the first half. <laughs> yep. They win these games. New England beat them a couple years ago in overtime. They win these games, but it's like nobody should be scared of going to Kansas City to play. It's not like they're going to blow you out. It's not like they're going to just destroy you. They played Denver in Week 17. Denver, one of the worst offenses all year long. This is in Kansas City. They beat them 27-24. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what is so... I don't know. I just... They had to beat the Titans this year in overtime 2017 at home. It's like, I just, you know, people love Kansas City and this home field advantage. And they've gotten to the Super Bowl three out of four years. They're now three and two in the last five years in these championship games, and they're always at home. But, you know, like, all of these championship games could have gone either way, and they've, they've, they've won half of them. They've gone three and two. Mm-hmm. They could have gone two and three. And it's like, all, all, the, all the pregame talk about, you know, this and that in Arrowhead Stadium. And, you know, 
Well, I think some guy for the the Chiefs said, you know, he was, you know, what are you concerned about with the Bengals' offense? He said nothing. <laughs> like really, you got Jamar Chase, one of the three best receivers there is. Joe Burrow, one of the three best quarterbacks there is. T. Higgins. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as dumb as some of the people think the Bengals stuff is, or this guy for the Chiefs, no, we're we're not concerned about anything, really, because it looked like I don't know. They were kicking your ass for about the middle two-thirds of this game. Yeah, but... So, I don't know. You know T. Higgins was good. Jamar Chase was good. Quarterback was pretty good. So, I don't know. I But, Chris, you know, Travis, if you look at the, the, the game, you see how many guys were dropping for uh, for Kansas City. Like, Legereus Sneed, the, the safety for Kansas City, goes out the second, I think, was it the first or second drive of the game with a concussion? Oh. Uh, so, he's gone. Uh, they lose Juju Smith-Schuster to injury, Kadarius Toney to injury. So you're throwing guys like Sky Moore into the lineup that normally wouldn't have as big a game. They had to rely on four rookies in the secondary. Um, uh, one, uh, J- Justin, was it Justin Watson or whatever, number 35, he had a big interception. Uh, Trent McDuffie played really well. This Cook guy or whatever, he got a he was struggled for much of the night, but he got a tipped ball or he tipped a pass that ended up being intercepted in the second half. So I, I'm looking at this in the, in the larger scheme of things. Like, this was a great team win for Kansas City. They needed Mahomes. Everyone needed to step up because Mahomes wasn't going to be at 100%. But then when everyone is going down, you know, like Willie Gay and, and everyone else, like, you have to rely on these backups to come do the job for you against Joe Burrow and, and Jamar Chase, this, uh, you know, T. Higgins, the, the Bengals with so much swag. I was really impressed by the Chiefs' rookies and their young players, especially in the secondary, for what they were able to do. Because Joe Burrow, yes, had a fine game, a good game, but nowhere near the standards or the levels that we expect for, or that we know that Joe Burrow is capable of. I mean, he threw two interceptions in this game. He hadn't thrown an interception 122 uh, uh, postseason attempts, his last 122 passes um, prior to that interception in the second quarter. So I get, I think we have to give the Chiefs a ton of credit here, especially their young guys, when everyone's falling for being able to step up and play the, as well as they did. And the Bengals had all their offensive line injuries. They lost Tyler Boyd. That was a pretty big loss, I thought. So both teams had important pieces that were lost. For sure. Yep. Anyway, I've been of the opinion that Joe Burrow's good, but he's not like this. Yeah, like he he's not torn it up in the playoffs. I just don't think. Like the first yep, two drives in Buffalo, he was great. Yep. Yep. We didn't do anything the rest of the game. They didn't need to. Right. Because so, Buffalo only scored 10 points. Yep. He threw for 242 yards. Uh, against Baltimore, he threw for 209. In yep. a game that they probably should have lost if they can convert a simple quarterback sneak yep. for Baltimore. And in this game, he was... He had two interceptions, not good. He probably had at least one or two more that were dropped. Yes, yep. So it was not great. And he had two chances in the fourth quarter with the game tied to win it. Yep. 
and they didn't get anywhere close to getting it. What, so. did you, what did you make of that intentional grounding penalty that was called against him? What, do you think that was the right call? I mean, you do see Samaji Pirine in the uh, like a little ways down the field. I don't. I think it was within ten yards, but um, like. Gene Steratore, I thought, did not have a, a great game against Buffalo. I thought he like went back and forth on the Jamar Chase catch and whatnot. Um, in this one, he he said, "Yeah, I agree with the the call," but then you get a lot of other people saying, "Oh, well," you, or I think Jim Nance said, "Well, I think Samaj or Samaji Pirine is right there," and Gene didn't say anything. So, like, what was was he missing something? I so I'm a little curious, you know, as to what the, what Gene saw or why he didn't say anything there. But did you think that was an intentional grounding call on Burrow? I didn't like it. I thought he was close enough. I hate and I hated the call at the end of the game, even though it's probably the right call. I'm watching this game and. I see this happen, like, they're going to throw this flag in the yard. It's like, all right, that's ball game. Even though it was, you know, a 45-yard field goal, not automatic. It's like, all right, let's go to bed. Game over. Mm-hmm. It's disappointing the way this game ended. Uh, the intentional grounding, I would have let that go. And then, the, and then the call, which we didn't know what was going on for minutes of – Oh, let's give, let's give Kansas City just another shot at this third down. I was surprised that Ron Tolbert was calling or was refing an AFC Championship game. I think Ron Tolbert is terrible. Um, between this is all anybody's talking about today is the referees. Yep. We're getting ready for the Super Bowl. It's the top two seeds. Yep. Hasn't happened in five years. Everybody's talking about how terrible. And I didn't. I didn't see Facebook or Twitter from because I watched this game a little later. Yep. I watched I watched the first half live and I watched the second half uh, later on. I didn't know what happened. And yeah, you know, for the referees, I mean they were the big story. And I didn't check Twitter or Facebook from like five, six o'clock on last night and I got on this morning and one of the first things I see is stuff about the officials. So it, it was just such a poorly officiated game with the you know just Seemed like they all went against Cincinnati, bro. And, and you hate to complain about the refs, but intentional grounding, the clock thing. The It's so loud and arrowhead, we can't hear the whistles. No, you can't hear the whistles because they weren't fucking blowing the whistles. Right. If 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 uh, the play clock shouldn't have started, if the game clock shouldn't have started, and this play shouldn't have counted, saw the one official thirty yards from the play start running in, and yep. then he stopped. If this is so goddamn important, then you blow the whistle nonstop and you continue to charge towards the play. Mm-hmm. You don't just go five yards and stop and say, oh, well, at we'll least he was running and then... in, though. And you know what? I, I, I saw Ron Tolbert uh, was talking to a pool reporter saying, yeah, the, he said, you know, the game clock started and it shouldn't have. He's the guy who said, please start the play clock and the game clock on my signal. I'm like, why is why is that happening? Because the play before was an incomplete pass. Why is the play clock running or the game clock running? It made no sense to me. 
And then for him to be like, oh, yeah, it, it shouldn't have. Wait, no shit, dumbass. It was your fault. I mean, I, Ron Tolbert is terrible. He is not a good official. And for him to be in an AFC championship game, I, I it just it baffles me. He is not good. And he did not have a good day. That official, if he comes running in, keep running in. You're not going to get hurt. You're not going to get knocked down. Disrupt the play. If that would have happened, then I would have been fine with redoing it. But hell, the, the freaking punt teams came on, and they were ready to punt the ball. Yeah. Like, all right, redo third down. And they sack him. And then they call Eli Apple for a pass interference call, which, was, again, was a little... That was the right call. the law of the rule, it's like, all right, sure... But you let him play, and you let that one go. No, so he's he holding him. He is absolutely holding him. He got him by the. I think was that the one where he. Oh, was that the one? Uh, where he grabbed the jersey. One that, but he got him with the hip. I think there was one later on that he got him on the hip. He knocks the ball away. That was the one where I'm like, let that one go. Yeah. Yep. This one was a defensive holding where he was, yeah, was holding on the jersey. Yep. And fortunately. Fortunately, that whole sequence of events didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because the Chiefs didn't score. Whatever time came off the clock and whatever momentum and and whatever, you know, they didn't score, so that helps. But maybe the Bengals lose 10 yards in in the mess of this shit. Right. At least they didn't score, but it just disrupts the game, and you just don't feel good. Thank God this wasn't... A team I cared about because if it would have been, yeah, fuck, yeah. Fuck. Well, and I I think Cincinnati fans have every right to be upset. Um, this you know this you know today this week about how that game was officiated because it did seem like every call went against the Bengals. But then you have to remember Isaiah Pacheco had a touchdown that was called back, so it's not like everything. Went against the. But they're legitimate calls, though. Nobody's yes. saying, "Well, I don't know about that." Yeah. No, I, I agree, and I, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, did Orlando Brown Jr. get away with a hold on Trey Hendrickson? Yeah, maybe. I think there was one that should have been called back on the Sky Moore punt return. It looked like a like a double team block, and I think that's illegal. Um, because they want to avoid injury, so that one should have been called, or maybe there was a hold there. Um. It was, just, it was bad. It was a badly officiated game. But with that being said, considering that Patrick Mahomes had a high ankle sprain, the Chiefs were better throughout the game offensively than the Bengals were. In my yeah. opinion. Well, it's, it's a game where it's like, like if, if San Francisco would have had a healthy quarterback... Like, nobody would have been – there were, like, there were no upsets yesterday. Right. Because, like, either of the four teams could have won and nobody would have been. I'm stunned by that. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing happened yesterday where it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe what's going on. It's not a six seed that makes a miraculous run or a five seed that, no. that gets there. Like, the 49ers run last year would have been slightly – would have been slightly surprising because they had to go – to Dallas, to Green Bay, to LA to beat, uh, you know, to get to the Super Bowl. Um, the favorites got there this year. Yep, yep. And uh, so yeah, the Chiefs win twenty three twenty. After the game, uh, you know, P- 
Patrick Mahomes said, oh, you know, we don't have any victory cigars. I really like that. Uh, you know, Travis Kelsey, who, who may be my favorite uh, player personality-wise in the NFL, is like, uh, you know, calling uh, the Cincinnati mayor a jabroni and, you know, shut your ass up and all this. Like, it was great. Uh, Chris Jones, obviously, uh, they all heard it during the week. They didn't say anything, but they heard it, and they heard all the trash talk. They heard what the mayor said, and... They took it personally, and they played a very good game overall, considering uh, who they were going up against. That you know, this is—it's kind of a mental hurdle to get finally get past, um, you know, a team that you haven't beaten before, like that Mahomes hasn't beaten. Like that's clearly an issue. Mahomes isn't healthy. You lose all those guys during the game. Um, a lot of frustration was released during the game and certainly afterward in the celebration. So um, I don't feel bad for Cincinnati in the least bit because uh, if you're going to do this, you have to suck it up when you lose. Um, again, it sucked the way you know the the game was officiated to a degree, but they had plenty of opportunity and they made plenty of mistakes along the way where the officiating wouldn't have been a factor. The Chiefs talk a lot of shit for a team that have won a twenty-one Super Bowl. I think, like, I don't think, I think they're going to get. I think it's going to be like Tampa Bay and Kansas City a couple years. I ago. I fully agree with you. I agree with you. I think the Eagles' defense. Not that anybody talks about them, and I mean it's hard to say when you've got nobody at quarterback yesterday. But like they only scored what twenty-three points. Against the Bengals, and the Bengals' defense is is, is plenty good, mm-hmm. but this pass rush of the Eagles, and you know they, they knocked out two quarterbacks yesterday. Yep, they're really good. So I think the Eagles are going to blow out the Chiefs. I agree. I I agree. And you know what? Unfortunately, this is going to be now two straight Super Bowls though, where Patrick Mahomes is not fully healthy. Because against Tampa Bay, he had the bad toe, if we, if you recall, and he was clearly limited there. And Tampa Bay's pass rush got after him. Here, well, we can't say that you know he is not 100 percent, obviously, but he beat the Bengals, so you, like, you can't use it as an excuse. So, like, it's only an excuse if you lose, right? I, I'm, if you win, nobody says. Well, he would have won by 10 or 14 if his ankle would have been fine. They're like, no, oh, he played perfectly fine he played like he normally does no better no worse and they yeah. won by three and I'm just saying you, don't, you don't have a, a quarterback to his full capabilities and you the same could be said for Jalen Hurts because that shoulder oh. is not 100% his throwing isn't great he took several hits against San Francisco and there was one where he was slow to get up I'm like yeah he's been in a bit of pain but as we move to the NFC championship game the two biggest plays of the game were in the first five minutes. You have a fourth and three for the Eagles, and Jalen Hurts throws a beautiful deep pass to Devontae Smith, and Smith makes what appears to be an incredible one-handed catch, and then he's hurrying up to the line, or telling the team, hey, hurry up to the line. No challenge play gets thrown by Kyle Shanahan because they don't have a view of it. They don't have the replay Fox isn't showing it or doesn't don't have the right angles, and 
there, where's the expedited review from the NFL? They have all of these angles. No one says anything. And the Eagles get a playoff. It was incomplete. But then they score one play later. Miles Sanders goes untouched. And then they show a replay of the catch of Devontae Smith after the touchdown. And uh, Kevin Burkhart was like, oh, that uh, probably shouldn't have happened. Uh, there's going to be some controversy about this. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock, because that was not a catch. And why the NFL didn't stop that for an expedited review is beyond me. Like, that's that's bad. Because then on San Francisco, so that's the one bad, the, the one significant play. And then on San Francisco's fourth, fifth, sixth offensive play of their first drive, Brock Purdy goes back to pass. Hassan Raddick's getting blocked by a tight end. That's a whole nother issue. I don't know what San Francisco was trying to do with that. Like, put an offensive tackle on Hassan Reddick. That That's number one. But Reddick hits... Brock Purdy, his arm, the elbow tries to go forward, or goes forward. It's just, it's bad. He fumbles it, and immediately, okay, that's a uh, elbow injury, probably something with the UCL, the ulnar, ulnar collateral ligament, and yeah, like, Brock Purdy was done for the day until he had to come back in because Josh Johnson, who for some reason is the 49ers' backup quarterback, you couldn't get someone like, oh, I don't know, Colin Kaepernick or another suitable backup out there. You have Josh Johnson, the journeyman, as your backup quarterback. That's bad. That's a bad look, San Francisco. But he comes in, and then he gets concussed early in the third quarter. Brock Purdy has to come in and essentially just hands off the entire rest of the game. He completed, what, two, three more passes? But those two plays just changed the whole complexion of this game. And... Who knows what would happen? I'm not saying that Brock Purdy would have played. Like maybe the Eagles still would have won this game, but if you, if that Devonte Smith pass is called incomplete on the field or is overturned as it should have been, maybe San Francisco isn't in that position where they're calling that play on that second and six, or maybe there's a, a block. Like we don't know if that it's like a what do they call it? The butterfly effect. We don't know if that play, that injury, would have happened. Maybe he fumbles it, sure, but doesn't get hurt and is able to stay in the game. And San Francisco is able to, like, it would still be scoreless at the time. It was just, it completely changed everything about this game. And the officials, not on the injury, but on that Devontae Smith catch, completely, completely um, screwed this up. If I were to tell you what happened in San Francisco is what happened, how many carries do you think Christian McCaffrey would have had? Um, They're not going to be able to throw the ball in the, for the entire second half because both quarterbacks are hurt and the other one comes back in and can't throw more than five yards. And Josh Johnson's their backup. I would think he would have more than 15 carries. I would have said probably closer to 25. I would maybe throw, you know, like Debo Samuel would have at least five carries. Maybe Kyle Juszczyk gets a few carries. What hurt San Francisco is not having Elijah Mitchell to yes. kind of, to take off to take some of the pressure off of Christian McCaffrey, who was dealing with that calf injury. Um, San Francisco is very unlucky. Yes, extreme. Four quarterbacks hurt, and they almost made the Super Bowl. Yes. With that being said, I thought their offense. 
their, I guess, game plan once things turned south was terrible. Yes. Yep. Just, and and that is that is saying that Josh Johnson did better than I thought he would, going seven of thirteen for seventy four yards. Yep. Couple sacks. What he had a, a fumble. Terrible fumble. That I, that was one. That was maybe the third play. The other play that completely changed the. The, the magnitude, the scope of this game, because maybe you go down 14-7 at half. Okay, we can make some adjustments. You fumble it there, Eagles score a few plays later, it's 21-7 at half. It just completely changed everything about that game. So you've got Josh Johnson. Why are you not running the ball? Why is he throwing it 13 times? I'm pretty sure Josh Johnson can run it, too. Like, he's, he seems like he's he can run you know a Wildcat-style offense. He played a quarter and a half in a game that was, what, 21-7 at halftime. It was not out of control yet. So why are you passing it 13 times? There were a lot of, so many penalties on this game in San Francisco that allowed Philadelphia drives to continue. Yep. Even if it's first and 20, first and 15, second and 15, second and 20, run the, run the ball. Or throw a screen. <laughs> Do something. Run the ball. Run the ball. Do not let Josh Johnson pass. And then at the end of the game, when it's over, they're down by, what, 24 games done. It doesn't matter. There's still, like, 12 minutes left, and they're just running the ball. Run for three, four yards. Wait 40 seconds. Let the play clock run down. Run it again for another yard or two. Let it run down another. Show some goddamn urgency. A hurry-up offense? Where was this? You are still down 24. You can't you're do down anything. three scores. Pretty you're not going to come back and win. Hurry up. If you're, you know you're going to run the ball. Show some goddamn urgency. Purdy can't and throw it. I mean, that's part of the issue here. He couldn't throw gotta, it. you got to get plays off more quickly. Christ, even in, in the regular flow of normal games, they snapped the ball with 10 seconds on the play clock. You, everybody knows you're going to run it. That's the only thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Run the ball, get up, and do it again. Don't waste 30, 40 seconds. Yep. I just thought the, the urgency wasn't there. They gave up. Oh, they, they, NFL, yes. NFL is all about uh, protecting the players. Then how in the hell is Brock Purdy allowed to go back in the game? Right. Well, that's true. They don't. He can't well, throw the ball. He threw it twice for five yards on a couple of screens. He literally cannot throw the ball more than uh, a couple feet. So how is nobody? Nobody. This is an awful game. Nobody liked it. It was awful to watch. How is he allowed to go back in the game? You would have to have put McCaffrey in at quarterback. And this is, I think, the the NFL apparently did away with the third string or the like the third string quarterback rule. That's got to come back next year. Um, You can't just have two uh, two available quarterbacks. That just doesn't. I I hate that it takes these things for things to change. It's always something that happens in the playoffs overtime or something that happens in an important game that happens once and then it rarely happens again now we have to change the all the rules we have to change the rules because uh this happened in a playoff game and we don't want to see it again yep well i mean it's it's a shame that jimmy garoppolo wasn't available uh because he would have been the backup uh instead of uh, josh johnson i feel like he could have played probably could have and you know what? If, like, if the Super Bowl is in two weeks, he probably would have been active for that game. Yep, for sure. Like, well, you broke your foot, and they were saying, oh, you know, if we can reach the champion conference title game, he might be ready. It's a broken foot. Mm-hmm. And for him, there's no reason to 
there's no reason for him to play because San Francisco hasn't shown him any loyalty at all. Right. He just the big middle thing of San Francisco. Like, you haven't wanted me for years. Why the fuck should I give? I, I broke my foot. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done with this. I'm not going to rescue you again and get us back to the Super Bowl again. Yep. No. Bye-bye. Yep. So, awful game. And at that point, go to a Wildcat, which they never did. Mm-hmm. That would have given you a better shot to win. And and the Debo Samuel, six carries, negative nine yards. North and south, not east and west. Anything that was a reverse, anything that was a trick play, a double reverse, it didn't work at all. Mm-hmm. We're not fooling anybody. North yeah. and south, three, four yards. Shorten this game up as few as possessions as possible. Ten-minute touchdown scoring drives. You know. Yeah. I mean, and give Philadelphia a lot of credit because their defense sniffed out the run. And I think in part, like, that's why – I think that's in part why Josh Johnson threw it as many times because Philadelphia was daring them to throw it, saying, you're going to – we're going to stop the run. We're going to sell out and stop it because we don't think Josh Johnson's going to be able to – to beat us effectively, you know, throwing the football. And after, even after Brock Purdy's injury, the 49ers defense stepped up and, the, and Christian McCaffrey had a hell of a run. Scored a touchdown to tie this game up 7-7. And I'll be honest, I thought, okay, like the 49ers can can hang around in this with the way their defenses looked. Philadelphia's offense hasn't been good the last three possessions. And then they go on this methodical drive, aided in large part by... Penalty after penalty against the 49ers defense that resulted in first downs. Uh, Third down penalties just absolutely killed the Niners on that drive. And when it made it 14-7, like, okay, that's going to be difficult. At 21-7, it's like, ball game done. You just, and you could tell the 49ers defense was frustrated in the second half as well. They just were completely going against great. Everything worked against the 49ers in this game and just like it has been for much of the season but you can also look at the fact now that Kyle Shanahan as good as he is at you know at getting the most out of his players and he should be praised properly for how he was able to navigate this season with all the different quarterback injuries and having uh, you know the you know Mr. Irrelevant be undefeated in the regular season and you know the the first two games of the playoffs but him how he managed this game you know not throwing the challenge flag the offensive game plan after Purdy got injured um not good and he's now lost two of uh well back-to-back NFC championship games the 49ers have been to three of the last four NFC championship games that includes one Super Bowl but uh, or one that they won, they beat the Packers and they made it to the Super Bowl before losing to Kansas City. But you know, you even go back to he was he had a large finger on print on why the Falcons lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl there where they blew that twenty-eight to three lead because he didn't yeah. make enough offensive calls. So I think Kyle Shanahan has to look himself in the mirror and figure out what he has to do better in terms of the game plan to make the 49ers more competitive and win the game. And again, I like he was dealt with a terrible hand on Sunday with with the injury to Brock Purdy. You can't see that coming, but you have to have a better backup and then you got to figure something else out. As you said, run the football more. Like you shouldn't have Josh Johnson throw it 13 times. 
you gotta, you know, why would you not have an offensive tackle block Hassan Reddick? Why do you have a tight end doing it? Like, that's that's the most egregious thing maybe out of all of this. So you have a tight end trying to block Hassan Reddick. But that's dumb. So... Every week, I feel like every week I say football coaches are stupid. Yeah, I think and you do. <laughs> like, how is, how is running the Wildcat any worse than than what the hell they did in the second half. Mm-hmm. It's like you got that extra blocker. Your quarterback is a non-factor. They're playing 11 on 10, essentially. Mm-hmm. So for as much money as these guys get paid, they just do some stupid, stupid stuff time and time again. And how Nathaniel Hackett gets a job with the Jets. <laughs> it's like for anybody that thought, well, you know, the Jets, they had a good year and you give them another year and they got all these rookies. Like, oh, that goes out the window when that guy's running your offense. It's well, like, you know, I can't, I, can't, I can't pick the Jets to do anything. You know why they took, they signed They want Aaron Rodgers and they're not going to get him. It's like, how the Broncos tried this and it didn't happen. Speaking of green. Jesus Christ. Did you, Just, did you see what the Empire State Building did? Yes. How dumb are they? Whoever runs that must not be a sports fan. They're going to be pretty dense to and light it up in the colors of your... I, I just... I don't that'd know. Be like, that'd be like, I don't know, Sioux Falls lighting up their arch downtown. Uh, green and yellow for North Dakota State. Or yeah. Minneapolis or Green Bay doing anything to support each other. Yes. Like, like and, be aware of what is going on. And then they did... They lit it up red for the Chiefs. And I don't know if that was to kind of play it off. Like, oh, we were going to do this regardless. But, oh, I don't know. The Eagles are your biggest rival. And you're going to light it up green? What New Yorkers going to be like, yay, go Eagles? No, they're going to say, fuck the Eagles. Everyone is pretty much saying that. We don't, no one likes the Eagles. No one likes the Eagles at all. Um, and why, why do that for the Chiefs? Like, who gives a shit? Exactly. Work about the Chiefs. Exactly. Right, so, the Chiefs made the Super Bowl. Fuck do we care that the Empire State Building is gonna is gonna light it up orange if the Bengals would have won? It's like who gives a shit? So I and I don't know if they did that after they recognized how bad of an, a decision it was to light up. You know, green because the Eagles won. I don't know if someone was trying to save face or whatever, but regardless, the whole thing was just idiotic. If you want to do it for the Super Bowl, maybe I can see that a little more. For the AFC and NFC Championship games, who cares? Like, it's dumb. It's just dumb. Couple other thoughts on the uh, just the 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 championship games, championship weekend. I know you like Tony Romo, and I like him as well, but I thought this AFC Championship game was one of his worst games that he's, call- that he's called. I don't... He kept, he keeps saying, what a huge play, what a huge play, what a huge play. Yes, it's a big play, but if you keep calling everything huge, it takes away from the overall game. Like, you can't have so many huge plays. Oh, this is a huge play, Jim! I don't know what's going on. So the, the shtick with Tony Romo, he, he needs to tone it down a little bit. There are some things about his analysis that are very good. Breaks down plays, but oh, Jim, it's a huge play here. I, I, I don't need I don't need constipated Tony Romo telling me how huge everything is. Um, so I was 
unimpressed by about you know the middle of the the second quarter when he had just used huge for the umpteenth time. And then also, I know you had Scott Kazmer on your your podcast last year. Um, and he's he's very good with uh, stats and you know the historical. Yeah, the, the one I found it, Joe Burrow's last thirty games. I guess it'll be thirty-one now. He's one and eight when he sacked five times or more. He's twenty-one and one, less than five sacks. Well, that's that's pretty good, right? So, yeah, pretty pretty decent indicator. So, but Scott Casmer, Ka- uh, um, he got a lot of pushback, let's say, um, for talking about you know Joe Burrow or uh, Patrick Mahomes losing potentially losing three conference championship games at home and then he was he got defensive like oh so now it's all just about participating i kind of thought he went off the rails a little bit there to a degree i get his general point but you can make a historical context with pretty much everything and i think you have to look at uh other factors as well um not just pinning this all on mahomes so i get what he was trying to do but I think sometimes I think he went a little overboard, and then the, the pushback and stuff. I think fans got overboard. It just was like, okay, what are we doing here? It, it I think it took away from the overall point that he was trying to make. But I think maybe he even pushed that his point a little too hard. Because people have anointed Patrick Mahomes the best ever, and he might be. Mm-hmm. But again, like I've said, like he's won one of these. Yep. And you're looking at all. Breeze and Wilson and Rodgers also won one. And he's gotten back to a third now. Yep. And they might win. I don't think they're going to win, but they might. I don't either. Yep. So, again, uh, LeBron's been to the finals many times. He's won, what, four of them. Patrick Mahomes has now been to three Super Bowls. If he only wins one, like, all right, a lot of guys have won one. Yep. Like, if you are the best ever, the best ever to do this, and a guy that does things we've never seen before, you better win more than one. Mm-hmm. And he's got a long long ways to go, but as we've seen, things can end very quickly. You can get a sprained ankle, ACL, things can happen quickly. Yep. So, yep. like, mm-hmm. I agree with him. Like, if they were, I mean, they very easily could have lost this game. And at that point, you would have lost three championship games at home, which... Right, but would that be... Is that Mahomes' fault? I think that's the... I think that's the point that a lot of people... I think he was putting too much of an emphasis on Mahomes, like how this negatively impacts him, when if if they had lost yesterday, and yeah, the the one turnover was bad for Mahomes, but look at what he did. He threw for over 300 yards and two touchdowns, and was making as many plays as he could, clearly hobbled uh, and on a bum leg. I mean, and he's coming off of a high ankle sprain. This is not, you know, your run-of-the-mill, like, normal ankle sprain. This is one that normally takes multiple weeks to recover from. Could you say, like, wow, what a damaging game for Mahomes' legacy? It's like, wow, he lost a very close game. He lost three wide receivers throughout the game. Uh, the secondary, uh, the defense lost a couple of guys. They're playing a whole bunch of rookies against Joe Burrow, who has beaten this team multiple times. I, I just, I feel like sometimes we put too much of an emphasis 
on certain players. And I get from the other standpoint too. Like I, I can't, I can't say at one point, oh, like this is one of Patrick Mahomes' greatest performances ever. I think it. I think it kind of ranks up there given the injury and how well he played overall and even running for that first down there at the end. But I just think sometimes like to say, oh, this game would have, this is on Mahomes if, you know, they lose a third AFC championship game at home. I think that more, moreover misses the the point that it misses the target. Um, like, he's going to be given all the credit if they win. Like, that fumble was the worst play of the game, I think. Yep. Did they score? Did they score a touchdown off of that? They did, yes. That was the one, too, where, uh, where Burrow on fourth and sixth, they go for it, and he makes that incredible pass to Jamar Chase in double coverage. And Kansas City should have probably deflected that there. Like, there's no reason why that ball should have been caught. It's a very good catch by Jamar Chase, but that is the drive, yes. that Because uh, Kansas City was driving at the time. You get a field goal, 10 points at that stage in the game maybe seems a little insurmountable, um, just given the way the flow of the game was going. That was a huge turnover, a, a huge turn of events in the in the game and when Cincinnati was able to tie it up there. Quarterback's the most important position. Every single week, pretty much every game I watch this year, they mention what the quarterback's win-loss record was. Yeah. Not only in the season, but throughout their careers, what the record is their last five games, uh, what the sense. record is against the team they're playing this week. Mm-hmm. It never pops up. What's, what's Delvin Cook's record against the Lions? Right. What's Justin Jefferson's record against the Saints? Because no, we, we know what Kirk Cousins' record is against Washington. The we know what his record is against Detroit. Yep. We know what Mahomes' record is in, in championship games. The, the quarterback has the ball in their hands every play. Very important. And it's all about wins and losses, and they say wins and losses isn't a quarterback stat, even though I never hear uh, what, uh, what Travis Kelsey's win-loss record is. Mm-hmm. I never hear what... You know, any other player. I don't hear what uh, Samaj P. Ryan's win-loss record is. It's always the quarterback. How many uh, quarterbacks won this many? Quarterbacks won that many. Uh, they, they don't hold it against the, uh, Barry Sanders that he never won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They never hold it against Adrian Peterson that he never won a Super Bowl. They hold it against other quarterbacks. When's John Elway going to win a Super Bowl? Right. He finally did. Yep. So, yeah, the quarterback's going to – the win and loss basically is how well does your quarterback play? Unless you've got a very good defense, it's going to come down to what quarterback plays better. So, yep, that's, that's, that's what I think about that. Yep. Um, also, Brock Purdy out six months with uh, UCL injury – may require surgery, you don't know, so that completely throws the 49ers quarterback plans into um, a bit of a conundrum because I think there's a decent chance that Trey Lance would have gotten traded in the offseason, but now I feel like you have to keep him because Purdy won't be healthy. So, Or do you keep Jimmy G and trade Trey Lance? I don't know. There's a 
there's a whole lot of stuff going on there with the 49ers. Um, Ross, Ross, you know who Ross Tucker is? Yes, yep. Football guy. Yep. I think he was on Dan Levitard this week. Daniel Brock pretty got hurt, so we didn't know. We, we don't remember how he would have done in this game. Mm-hmm. But he made the good point of, like, people and draft people, like, they're just waiting to pounce on Brock Purdy his first bad game. Yep. He's, he's never lost a start yet, or is he 7 0, 8 0? No, you don't have to count this one against him because he played fucking five plays. Yep. They are w- waiting to pounce him. His first bad game, his first loss. Yep. They will say, well, see, this is why he's a seventh-round pick. This is why he shouldn't have been drafted. This is why you can't you can't do anything with him. The this is why he cannot be, be a quarterback in this league yep. as a starter in the long term. Meanwhile, you get Zach Wilson, and he'll have, like, one good game out of every ten. And then they'll say, well, see, this is why he was the second pick, because he had this one game where he threw for uh, 100 yards instead of his usual seven yards that he throws for. Mm-hmm. And you see this, this is why Zach Wilson – he was drafted at the top of the draft. This is why. And then he'll continue to suck for the next two months and get benched uh, for a Mike Davis or Mike White. Mm-hmm. And, and Chris Strebler comes in from noted FCS power South Dakota <laughs> and does perfectly fine in his game while Zach Wilson, uh, yeah. So yeah. It's, it, it all depends on where you're drafted what type of a shot you'll get. Yep. Like, there is no reason why Brock Purdy should not be the quarterback of his team. If he is healthy, he showed more than enough this year. He he played better in these last two months and showed more than I think Trey Lance will. Trey Lance can play for the next 10 years mm-hmm. and will never be this good. Yep. And will never do anything close to this cumulatively over these eight games. He can play next 10 years mm-hmm. and that's just the way it is but if we're going to have a quarterback competition it's like that should be a blowout as well that should go to Brock pretty pretty significantly because Trey Lance hasn't played football consistently for what four years now yep He's, he hasn't played football he just hasn't played any football and well, Trey Lance hasn't played football for four years. Brock Purdy. No. He, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. had one year at North Dakota State. He sat out the COVID season. Yeah, he played one game, I think. One game. Yeah. He got drafted and didn't play early as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Played, what, two games this year? Got hurt. Yep. So, he's played. He just hasn't played. Yep. So, yeah, Brock Purdy deserves this job. It should, there, there should be no competition. I would agree. I just think with the injury now, with the time frame of the injury, I think it, they could have traded Trey Lance to Tennessee where the, the, the Titans had that new GM that came from San Francisco. You could trade him to maybe even the Vikings. The Vikings could be no, looking. No, 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 I just, no, no. I'm just saying that the Vikings could, like if they're looking for a law, like a – the, the future quarterback after Kirk Cousins, because I think oh, they're, yeah. they're, no. they're going to have no. to look at quarterback here in the draft. they got to look at the quarterback of the future here. The, the, issue with, is, the issue with Trey Lance is that he's a quarterback and that he's not very good at that. Right. I'm just saying, like, there are like those... The thing with Justin Fields is he's an outstanding running back who plays quarterback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like, if the Bears were smart, 
they would take Bryce Young with the first pick, and they would switch Justin Fields to running back. That will never happen. They will never do it because Justin Fields was what, though? A third pick, fifth pick, whatever he was. Mm-hmm. They were a high pick. Tenth like, pick. Uh, Is it the tenth pick? Yeah, tenth, tenth pick. pick. Yep. Cordell Patterson was a receiver that couldn't run routes or catch the ball. Other than that, he was a great receiver. He just couldn't catch it or uh, run routes. Hmm. So uh, they put him at running back, and he's pretty valuable as a running back. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick realized that. Atlanta has realized that. Yep. Uh, the, the Bears realized that. And it's not a big deal because it's Cordero Patterson, and he was a first-round pick, late mm-hmm. first-round pick. Yep. And outstanding kickoff returner and all that. Mm-hmm. But he's a running or a receiver, but now he's a running back because that's the best position for him. Yep. Like Justin Fields ran for, what, 1,000 yards this year? Yeah. Almost. Or he, yeah. he would have broken Lamar Jackson's record if he wouldn't have got hurt. Right. And week after week, he was running for 100, 150, 170 yards as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Put him as a running back. They'll never do it because they're too stubborn and dumb. Instead, they will continue to go along this line of, well, let's see how Justin Fields does. They'll continue to get 1,000-yard seasons and continue to just be in a, a below-average quarterback. I think so. if they put weapons around him, though, he would be a good quarterback. He didn't have anyone to throw to. Cole Komet this year. Cool. I mean, they- Who's the best? Who's Somehow, not only do the Bears have awful quarterbacks for the last – thousand years they also have terrible receivers yep. um, their running backs are sometimes okay yep but like offense how, how, how are they so bad at offense great question it's a great question. I, I couldn't name you the two best Bears receivers I've ever seen probably Alshon Jeffries mm-hmm. and Musa Muhammad maybe ooh yeah um I, wasn't there a Ingram who played for the Bears? Uh, Rashawn Salam was he? Was he? Rashawn Salam. We got to go back to when we were in the second grade. <laughs> uh, you know, you want to take a gander here, stack, and who the all-time receiving leader for the Bears is? Is Tommy Waddle uh, on there? Who? Tommy Waddle. No. Oh. Uh, this guy's. This is the only receiver in Bears history to have over 5,000 yards. Mike Ditka? Or Justin Jefferson calls that his first three years in the NFL. Is it Mike Ditka? Johnny Morton. Or Johnny Ooh. Morris. Who the hell is I that? I thought it was Johnny Morton. Johnny Morris, some guy from the 60s. Oh, okay. <laughs> Elshon Jeffries, who was there for four or five years, his third all-time. Walter Payton, who was a goddamn running back, is the fourth leading receiver in Bears history. Their top two guys played in the 50s and 60s. They haven't played in literally 60 to 70 years. That's pretty bad. Very Matt bad. Forte, seventh all-time in receiving yards. Uh, he was so good. Matt Forte. I remember one year I had him I had him and Alshon Jeffrey and Des Bryant on my fantasy team. I sure. was trailing going into the Monday night game between Dallas and Chicago and I got a late garbage catch by Alshon Jeffrey, and I won, and I advanced to the championship game where I ultimately won. But those three guys stacked up so many points for me all year. It was great. Um, like, you look at this. The top, there have been seven 
players in Bears history have more than 4,000 yards receiving. This is the one of the oldest, if not the oldest franchise in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Seven guys have over 4,000 yards. Two of them are receivers, and two of their guys are listed as a left end and a, I don't know, an FL, a flanker. Yeah, okay. Who are receivers from the 50s and 60s. A, a, a team that it would seem impossible that this would, this would happen. Right. So oh, get him right. weapons, sure. Get him weapons. Uh, I, I don't think the Bears are going to get him any weapons, and if they do, I don't think they're going to be any good, whether that's because they're not good or Justin Fields isn't good enough. It's just a franchise that is inept on the offensive side. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. Um, a couple other headlines from the NFL. Uh, Frank Wright gets hired as the Carolina Panthers head coach. Next uh, job will be for him to find that quarterback of the future. You know, I don't know. I think I thought Steve Wilkes was deserving of the job, but maybe he could land as the defensive coordinator of the Vikings. Either him or Brian Flores. Fingers crossed that that happens. Um, the other one of the other guys that they interviewed for is now the defensive coordinator at uh, in Atlanta, Ryan Nielsen. He was with the Saints. They interviewed some guy with Seattle. Please don't hire Mike Pettin, uh, the defensive advisor for the Vikings this year, because what makes you think that he's going to be any better uh, as defensive coordinator rather than defensive advisor last year? D- d- don't do it. Just get Brian Flores, uh, even though he may take the Cardinals' job. D'Amico Ryans will be named the head coach of the Houston Texans here, we believe, at some point here uh, this week. Uh, it seems like it's all but a done deal. And Kellen Moore was unemployed for less than 24 hours. He uh, is he and the Cowboys, quote, mutually, unquote, parted ways. Um, I don't want to be here, and we don't want to. Yeah, uh, Mike McCarthy wants all that pressure on him. Okay, that's fine. We'll see how well you do with Dak Prescott and company next year. But Kellen Moore is now going to L.A. to be the Chargers offensive coordinator, so we'll see what kind of magic he can do with Justin Herbert. I like that decision. I think that's a a good place for him. But uh, as always, he's going to have to worry about Brandon Staley doing some dumb shit on fourth down, and that will ultimately keep the Chargers back. Sean Payton will be the Cowboys coach in 2024. Probably. Probably. McCarthy will get fired because they've done as well as they could possibly do, which is a divisional round game. Jerry Jones will fire him. John Payton will go to the Cowboys. Who do you hope is named the Vikings defensive coordinator? I want Brian, Wilkes or Flores. I would Brian, prefer Flores, but if they can't get Flores, then give me Wilkes. Brian Flores. He should be the next coordinator. I I agree. I hope so. If he's not, not going to be the, the Cardinals coach, like this is a pretty easy call. Yep, I I completely agree. I just think like I feel like he's going to be named the Cardinals head coach, and so I'm really hoping then that Steve Wilkes would be um, the guy. Where the Denver defense coordinator is? Oh yeah, that guy. I I can't I can't pronounce his name at all. So I tell you what his name was. Can't can't pronounce it. Uh, Double uh, so E. Who that right? guy is. Yeah. Uh, he seems to be okay. Yep, so, I'd be okay with that. The Sean Desai from Seattle wouldn't be terrible either, I guess. Just anyone not named Mike Pettin would be preferred. Yeah. So, like, like what are the like the three four defense? 
like we, we had Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter, they're your defensive ends slash rushing linebackers. Mm-hmm. They would, would they not be essentially doing the same thing as before? And maybe like not in coverage as much? Because like, who, who were the three? Okay, so the four linebackers we had, those two guys as linebackers, I guess, mm-hmm. along with uh, what Jordan Hicks and Kendricks were four linebackers, I guess. Yep. Then who the hell were a defensive lineman? Yeah, D- Dalvin Tomlinson was a defensive tackle. Yep. Uh, uh, was it Harrison Phillips? And he's like a defensive tackle. Yep. Um, DJ and DJ Wanham and Wanham. Patrick Jones. I really like Patrick Jones. I think he's got some. Um, I think he's got a lot of potential. Patrick Jones. It's like, I don't know, 3-4-4-3. Three, four, four, three. Just go to a 4-3. Like, you see the starting lineups now. They got, like, two linebackers and, like, they play, like, fucking eight defensive backs. What I would like is a hybrid safety linebacker. Then maybe you could do, like, a 5-2. Um, 5-2-4 or something like that. Um, Just get better. Just get better. Yep. And uh, last thing for me on the NFL, unless you have anything else, um, but we always look at the potential Super Bowl matchups now, oh. or the, the potential kick, uh, NFL kickoff uh, uh, for the Super Bowl champion. The Chiefs have so many options. Look at this home schedule. Of course, you have the Broncos, Chargers, Raiders. The rest of their home schedule is Bills, Dolphins, Bears, Lions, Bengals, and Eagles. I don't think if the Chiefs beat the Eagles, I don't believe that that will be the home opener. They they could have done that with Falcons Patriots uh, a few years back. They opted to do that like week six. So I don't think that I don't think the NFL would do that. I think your logical options are Cincinnati, Miami. The Chargers and then Buffalo. I would. What? What? what if, I always think they should put the biggest game on first. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest of those games? What is the most heated rivalry of those games? The Bengals. It's the Bengals. People yep. are excited about the Bengals and Chiefs. Put that game on first. Yep. And, and it, you know, some of it is you know you got to decide who gets what games, like you know. CBS, do they get? You know, they they're obviously going to ask for certain uh, preferences, but um, so you know, the Bengals would certainly be one of them if they can get it. I don't know if they will or not, but that I think is is something. There may be what the NFL will do is say, okay, we're going to give the Bengals to NBC for the Sunday night opener, but. CBS, you can get Philly at Kansas City because Fox will have called them for the Super Bowl and they don't need that matchup. Uh, they don't need the rematch. That's a potential um, that they could do. I believe uh, next year is the first year where there will be no conference affiliation. So it's, yep. it, it's all up for grabs. Yep. Um, which I, I hate, but that's, I guess, neither here nor there. I don't know why, like, why, they, why they do it and why they're getting rid of it. You know, so you'll have 
I mean, they, they've already had it the past couple of years. You know, Packers, Vikings, those on CBS. Mm-hmm. Slowly gone to this, so we will see. Yep. What uh, what what happens with the schedule, and that makes it more difficult because you could have you know, you, Chiefs Chiefs Bills wouldn't seem right on Fox, but I'm sure there'll be a big game mm-hmm. that will be on an odd station. Yep, for sure. As far as the Eagles, of course they have, uh, you know, the three NFC East opponents: Cowboys, Giants, Commanders, Cardinals, 49ers, Bills, Dolphins, and Vikings. Uh, no, no, don't do the Vikings. Don't do the Bills. Don't do the Dolphins. You can put them in a, a late window or a Sunday night game. Um, not the Commanders. Not the. So not certainly not the Cardinals. Yeah, I think it's I think it's San Francisco or the Giants. If the Giants can get someone good, I know you could put Dallas in there, um, and that's a, a possibility. I would go San Francisco or the Giants. Those would be my two choices. I go Bills or San Francisco. But I think San Francisco would make the most sense. I'd put Washington in there if Lamar Jackson goes to Washington. Oh, okay. That would be no, interesting. Because no, yep. that's ridiculous to do that, but Yep. No. Nope. Oh, oh that would that would be very interesting. So also uh, one more final NFL yeah. thing. Yeah. Like San Francisco should not go for town break. Yeah. If he if he yeah. had to pick one team to go to, I assume he would want to go to San Francisco. I've heard And if you are them. Yeah. Like Miami, Miami has said, no, we're, we're not interested, which is good for Miami. Mm-hmm. And it is intriguing for San Francisco saying, all right, I mean, if Tom Brady's going to win again anywhere, like San Francisco, like, you know, plug in a quarterback who's not terrible and they'll win a lot of games. Yep. By the way, uh, the, for Purdy, it's a torn UCL. So that's, that's significant. Um, Significant for him. And I have heard, I guess, there's one anonymous NFL executive out there who said there's a dark horse team to Lamb Brady. You know who that dark horse team is? We talked about the Raiders, uh, which makes no sense. He should go to San Francisco. Dark horse team to Lamb, and then this guy named the team. Yes. Uh, is it a playoff team from this year? Yes. Is it the fucking Vikings? Yes. How does that work? How do we get rid of the, the problem is getting rid of their current quarterback. How how who who takes him? What do we get? Again, like we have nobody uh, nobody winning in the wings. Uh, I assume Tom Brady would take a greatly reduced salary, yep. as he has done for the majority of his career to help their our salary cap problems. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned, our offensive line is not good enough for this to work. And he does not throw the ball down the field, which you should do with Justin Jefferson, who can catch balls far down the field. Who, who said this? Who said this? I don't know. It was a, an anonymous NFL executive, but that's... that's. The, so where, where does Kirk Cousins go? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I'm not saying I would necessarily want it. I don't... Would you do that? Would you do that? I would if they have the defense in place. Like, I want them to go all in with Brady if the rest of the team is in place. 
if that happens, boy, we may as well just uh, sleep in on Sundays because we'll be playing a lot of a lot of prime time games. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. A lot of late afternoon games. A lot of late afternoon games, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, that's all your NFL stuff. We'll do a full Super Bowl preview next week. Um, Jack Rabbits are good. The, uh, Brady and the Vikings would uh, they would host Tampa Bay. They would host the Chiefs. They would be at Cincinnati. They'd be at Philadelphia. They'd play the Packers twice. The Rodgers is still there. 49ers. Uh, Did you mention the 49ers? Yeah, they'd be in Denver to take out Russell Wilson's corpse. Uh, so, yeah, that would, uh, yeah, they, they would get the maximum, what, six? Six primetime Yep, yep. Uh, I would say six noon games would be max uh, for the year. Six noon games max. So, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't know if I, a lot would have to happen, and I, do, I doubt it's going to take place, but that's what one anonymous. Where, where do you think he goes? I think San Francisco is number one on his list, and if you're them, you probably consider because they, they have everything in place. I, I don't know. I mean, the Raiders make a lot of sense because of Josh McDaniels, but they have a terrible defense. And why? I mean, he is smart enough to know Tom Brady has played in the worst divisions in football for 25 years. Like the Chiefs are winning that division. They've won it for a long time, and the Chiefs will continue to win that division for a long time. Yep, yep. And the, the NFC is manageable. The AFC is uh, not. Yep. So, is the if you go to the NFC, like if you, I mean, the NFC South is wide open again. I, that's why I think Tampa Bay is a, probably the the likeliest spot for him um, to stay. Because the NFC South is so weak. But let's say Rodgers leaves the NFC North. All of a sudden you're looking at, okay, like Detroit is good, but Tom Brady, a Tom Brady-led Viking squad would cruise past Detroit, I think, and everyone else. Um, and then who are you looking at then? The Eagles and the 49ers. So, I mean... You would easily be you'd be no worse than the three seed like you were this year. Kirk Cousins has a no trade clause. Well, that sucks. So that would be. Hmm. And then you have Aaron Rodgers, and you know, we'll see what happens with him. Yep, that's what I say. He might be might be a jet, but we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, those it's your NFL talk. Um, we mentioned Le- LeBron James earlier. And somebody said that they wouldn't react that way if their dog got ran over in front of them. <laughs> yes. I, again, I can't take him seriously, and this is one of the reasons why. So I thought initially when I saw the replay, I saw it like four or five times. I'm like, okay, that I could see where the officials missed that call. Like, it's not terrible. And then watching it, watching it live, I couldn't tell anything. Yep. And then you see, like, where, where's the foul? Who's the foul on? What did he touch? Yep. Yep. I thought it, it looked like a fairly clean block, maybe a little contact, not too bad. You see it from a different angle. He clearly slapped the ri- the, the forearm there. But then I saw another uh, replay from along the baseline. And if, in case no one knows what we're talking about here, the Lakers and Celtics are playing Saturday night. 
uh, on ABC. It's in Boston. Lakers have a chance to win it here at the end of regulation, and LeBron gets you know slapped by Jason Tatum. Looked like a fairly clean block, and he goes absolutely ballistic. But I see this video here along the baseline, and LeBron James blatantly travels. He takes four steps. So that's before the contact. So let's let's maybe tone it down a little bit, but he goes absolutely nuts. I've never seen anyone react that way for a call, and how he does not get a technical is an embarrassment to the National Basketball Association. How you swear to God this was game seven of the finals. Yeah. Like not game fifty. It was game game between a, a team that's not making the playoffs. I don't know how do you not give him a technical foul there? And then Patrick Beverly, who <laughs> I <laughs> I like I liked him on the Timberwolves. He has taken a different persona. Like he's not just a like an aggravator of some or trying to get under people's skin. He's doing this whole different shtick now in LA and it's just annoying. Um like he's he's just a character. He's acting like a buffoon. He takes a camera and shows the ref like, "Hey, this is a foul." And he got teed up right away. And he should have. I'm not saying he shouldn't have. It was it was dumb to do. Uh, but that's what Patrick Beverly does this year. He just does dumb shit to get a rise out of people, I guess. But how you give him a tech and not LeBron James for what he did? Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. The same reason why the last game of the season was Lions Packers and not Titans Jaguars. Because it's Aaron Rodgers and because it's LeBron James. That is why. Yeah. It's dumb. I just like... Yeah, LeBron, just shut up, man. You just, like, go away. Go away. I, you're, you're having a great year. Uh, the Lakers are somewhat relevant this year. They're hovering around the pack. But, goodness gracious, like, that's no way to act. You're, you want young kids, you know, watching you on TV to act like that? No way. Just, that's an, it's an embarrassment. It is, that is so beneath who LeBron James is, just terrible. Just absolutely terrible. Um, He's resting tonight. Yeah, uh, he and, and Anthony Davis is like, whoa, we should start finding NBA officials. I get that to a degree, but maybe we find you if you miss uh, two free throws at the end of a game. Like, because you wouldn't do your job. Anthony Davis also resting tonight. Yeah, it's just, it's It's embarrassing. The whole resting thing between the Clip- the Clippers and the Lakers are the most blatant offenders of said resting rule. Why, why do we rest players more and they get hurt more? That's if a- we rest them more, shouldn't they be healthier and never miss games due to injury? You're absolutely spot on with that, and that's what should happen, and it doesn't. So, Michael Jordan never missed a game his last three years with the Bulls. He played every game. Um, why do pitchers throw less more less pitchers throw less than they ever have and they get hurt more often mm-hmm. none of it makes sense nope sure doesn't maybe you have to do it more I feel like it's like a marathon runner who trains to run 26 miles for a marathon but they never run more than like 10 or 12 miles at a time mm-hmm. if you want somebody to Run a marathon, you should probably run a couple of marathons in preparation for that. 
if you want a pitcher to play to, to throw 200 innings, they should probably have thrown more than a hundred in a season in the minors. If you want a basketball player to play all 82 games, they should probably play more often to get used to playing 82 games. Because they did it, I don't know, when we were kids, back in my day, they somehow did this, and they didn't die. So I don't know what it is. Agreed. Agreed. There's nothing else to say on that. Um... Let's, uh, let's go college basketball, shall we? We're approaching March Madness here. Um, always a fun time. This year is wide open. Uh, Kansas snapped a three-game losing streak by beating Kentucky last week. A uh, lot of different things. Uh, I mean, I, I talked. I think we talked last week about how it's so weird that you have all of these 12 and, like, seven teams, 13, seven teams, 12 and six teams or whatever – that's are like eight and nine seeds this year, and in a normal year you would be on the bubble. Like that's just how wide open college basketball is. Uh, so Kansas snapped their streak, but this SEC Big Twelve challenge, like Alabama gets curb stomped by Oklahoma, who now jumps back into the mix here for uh, a spot in the you know on the bubble or in the, the the tournament. West Virginia wins a big one here. Um, did they beat Mississippi State? I can't remember. Uh, it, but West Virginia on the bubble, now they're in. I mean, it's just, it, it goes back and forth. But there were some pretty eye-opening performances last week, especially in that SEC Big 12 challenge. Alabama, that, that how, like, how does that happen? I don't know how that happens. Uh, Tennessee beat Texas. Good for them. Yes. Uh, Kansas needed to win that game very badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, game I caught the end of, uh, Mississippi State and TCU went in overtime. Yes, that's Mississippi the one with Mississippi State. State. Seven. Yeah. Uh, I like TCU, though. I do as well. Uh, our, our good friend, the Burger lost by a lot to Missouri. Uh, our Creighton squad picked up a much-needed win versus Xavier. Mm-hmm. Good resume. Anyway, West Virginia beat Oliver. Yes. Yep, thank you. Good, good win for them. Yeah, that SEC Big 12 Challenge. A couple of good games, a couple of surprising blowouts. Uh, Charleston finally lost again. They lost to Hofstra. So. It's not a terrible loss because Hofstra's really good, according to like John Rothstein, Parker Heyman's, uh, th- those guys. I'm thinking Marquette to win a lot of games. No, I am too. I agree. They scored 56 in the second half versus an awful DePaul team. Uh, Marquette, by, by, by all means, nobody, nobody be talking about Marquette. Some guy's going to say Marquette's going to be like a four or a five seed. And they're going to say, oh, look out for Marquette. I look at Marquette. They've lost five times, Zach, and they've all been by five points or less. And they score so many points. And I'm pretty sure I heard this in the uh, CBS Sports Network game recently, either that or it was FS1. I think they have, like, one of the most, um, like, the most guys returning or something. Like, they have a very – they're a young team, but they have a lot of – it's a very cohesive unit, I think. Yeah. So they've had a lot of guys that have taken jumps and 
improved from last year. Yeah. Like, I, going into the year, like, they weren't – I don't know where they were picked in the Big East. I can't imagine it was very high. But they've had a lot of guys make big jumps. They lost to Xavier at Xavier by four. They yeah. lost to Providence by five in a great game. They lost to Wisconsin by three. They lost to – oh, trying to sneeze. <laughs> there we go. Bless you. They lost, to, they lost to Purdue by five. They lost to Mississippi State by three. They don't have a bad loss. They've got five very, very close losses. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't see them losing. They may lose maybe two or three games the rest of the year. I agree. I I really I like Marquette as well. They have certainly grown on me a lot as the season has progressed. Uh, they host Villanova on Wednesday. That should be a very easy win. Villanova! Ed, Ed Cooley beat Villanova here. That was... I'm looking at these point spreads, and like that Providence-Villanova game was a toss-up. Mm-hmm. No problem. It's at Villanova. That's and understandable. I, Iowa State and Texas Tech is like a toss-up as well. Somebody was a one-point favorite. Does that tell I, you that there are still people out there that don't believe in Iowa State? That's what that tells me. Like Texas Tech is 0-8 in the conference, and like they've lost a lot of close games. You look at every game they've played, it's pretty much been close. Mm-hmm. It's like, and, and Iowa State's blowing them out here in the first half, and they, and they may win. But yeah, it's like Iowa State, number 13 in the country, Almost a one-point underdog at a team that has not won a conference game yet. And you, you feel bad for Texas Tech because you know, they, they lost to Kansas by three. They lost to TCU by six. Well, they lost to Texas by two. You know, they, they, they've lost some close games. Mm-hmm. I, just, I, I don't think they're making the tournament, though. I... I got to tell you, I really, I think, you know, we talk about Marquette. I really like Creighton. I think if they can get healthy, they'll be dangerous. Xavier's good. Providence, too, I think is a, a second weekend team. I really like Jared Bynum. Um, I know he's missed some time recently with the with the injury, but I think Ed, Ed Cooley's got a good squad this year. I think you see the Big East potentially send three or four teams to the second weekend, to the Sweet 16. That'd be good for one. Um, I think it could. I think you could easily see Creighton, Marquette, uh, Providence, and maybe Xavier. Um, and they might only get four teams from the Big East. Maybe a fifth team. Um, they'll get. They'll get five. You forget. You forget about our, our Connecticut squad. Oh yeah. How how could I forget that team that's lost what five in a row now? Five and, and then once, once Georgetown wins this conference tournament again, it's a 16 seed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was Georgetown it? The one... finally won a game. They beat Nepal, I think. Do you remember the one year that Georgia won the SEC uh, championship? I think it was uh, tornadoes hit downtown Atlanta to like damage the Georgia Dome, and they had to move the SEC tournament to uh, Georgia Tech's campus. And. Oh. I think Kentucky had to play like two games in one day or Georgia had to play two games in one day, something like that. Georgia ended up winning the SEC championship and they were a 14 seed. Just insane. 
very odd. And then Georgetown won in a couple of years, and I think they were 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you rarely see the big conferences get a surprise winner. Or Oregon was that way a few years back. They won the, the Pac-12. They were a 12 seed, and they beat 5 seed Wisconsin, as predicted by me. So, um, it happens. I just feel like people would be losing their minds if the Big Ten had six teams in the top 15 or if the ACC had six teams in the top 15, mm-hmm. they'd be losing their minds saying, oh, look at the Big Ten. Yep. Oh, I mean, what a conference. Look at the ACC. What a conference this is. Mm-hmm. The Big 12 has six teams in the top 15. Yep. Seems like nobody cares. That's the best conference in basketball. Yes. Without question. Without six, teams, six teams are within one game of each other. Yeah. Somebody's going to be a six seed in this tournament and be like 12th in the country. Yeah. And you could see any really outside of maybe Texas. Right now, right now Kansas is eighth in the country and sixth in the Big 12. That's nuts. Absolutely nuts. I just look in here. Outside of, I don't know, Texas Tech and West Virginia, maybe Oklahoma, Oklahoma, like, the six of those teams, you could make an argument for any of the six teams, the top six teams in the Big 12 to win the Big 12 tournament. And even if Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas Tech made a run, would it be all that surprising? Not really. You know, you got to always consider Baylor. Yep. Uh, I know Kansas in a rough spot right now. I don't like Texas. So I'm not going to pick them very far. Nope. I, and I, I I can't trust Kansas State yet. I just can't. I like, I like TCU. Yep. Uh, Iowa State. Eh, I don't know. We'll see. But I think you almost. Congratulations to the Big Ten. They, they now have a second team rank. There are 25 teams in the Big Ten, and they now have two of them in the top 25. God congratulations to Indiana. And also, uh, congratulations to second place Northwestern and third place Rutgers. <laughs> That's just like we all predicted, right? What a what a what a what a joke! I'm again. I don't know what why everyone loves Michigan State so much. Is it the the Tom Izzo effect? Like they're fourteen and eight right now. This is again. I think when Lenardi's bracketology comes out this week, it'll be on Tuesday. Everyone can take a look at that by the time you listen to the podcast. But like their losses, okay, good loss to 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 Gonzaga by one. They lose to Alabama by 11. That looks better. They lose at Notre Dame by 18. That's a terrible loss. Uh, Northwestern losing at home to Northwestern by 7. Okay, that's doesn't look quite as bad. At Illinois, Purdue, they lost twice to. Fine. Um, but I, where are their good... Tell me a good win. Kentucky, okay, maybe. Villanova's not a good win. Oregon, not good this year. Penn State, Fine. Um, at Wisconsin, that's your best win right now. And then a home win against Rutgers, two-point win against Iowa. Like I, I just don't see it from Michigan State. And you, they lost on a, they lost on a ship to Gonzaga by a couple. Right. Yep. By one, and that, and that's that's fine. Because they're Michigan State. Yeah. That's why. I just I look at their remaining schedule, and it's not tough. You have home games against Rutgers and Maryland coming up. At Ohio State, home to Minnesota, at Michigan, 
home to Indiana, at Iowa, at Nebraska, home to Ohio State. So Michigan State should be in, but you lose like three of those games, I'm sorry, Michigan State should be out. Like, yeah, you keep on waiting for these teams to turn it around or to get on a roll, and they never do. Yeah, like Indiana. It's not like they're playing a bunch of good teams. No. Beat Northwestern. Is that too much to ask? That's like it with Penn State and Iowa. Okay, like here we go. Penn State wins a game, and oh, we. Penn State just demolished Michigan on Sunday. Just killed them. Yeah. And but look at what they're gonna do, like this week or next week. They'll lose games they shouldn't. I mean, it's it's just it's I'm very. Sure, I'm sure the Big Ten will get nine teams in. They'll get nine teams in the tournament. But should they? I mean, that's the thing. No, I don't well, see, no. I don't see the Big Ten having many teams. I, th- I see Purdue advancing to the second weekend. I could see two teams tops advancing to the second weekend as it currently looks right now. And we would not be stunned if Purdue loses in the second round. No, not at all. Well, well, there's Purdue. Purdue again. Now, garbage. Lenardi has uh, what, West Virginia. One of the final teams in, and they got uh, Wisconsin. Also and, on the final team. And Pitt and Penn State, I believe, rounded yeah. out. So Pitt, Pitt uh, yeah, more no respect. I wish Miami would have beat him. All right, get Pitt out. No, down in the pits. I don't know. It, it's it's very fascinating to see what's going on uh, throughout the uh, the landscape this year. Uh, you have a lot of very there's a lot of different teams out there and just a lot of average teams. So it's really on any given night you're you're going to potentially see an upset. Florida Atlantic. How many Mountain West teams are getting in? I feel like the Mountain West could get five teams in. Yes. Yep. No doubt about it. Uh, San Diego State, Boise State, maybe Nevada, New Mexico in there. Utah State maybe making a bit of a run here. So, yeah. Wyoming. Shit in the bed. Awful. Just awful. Yeah. Bad um, Yeah. It's... Just crazy. But then again, like the SEC, very top-heavy. You have two teams in the top four, uh, Tennessee and, Alab- and Alabama. And then who's in third place? Texas A&M, coming out of nowhere. You have Auburn. Uh, like Mississippi State beat TCU. They're 1-7 in SEC play. How good are how good is, Miss- is Mississippi State? They're 13-8, and eight and nowhere really near the bubble anymore. Lenardi's got nine big dead teams it's crazy. It's just... Yeah, three, three from the Mountain West, four from the Pac-12. So, show some respect. Yeah. I look at... Yeah, the Pac-12. Yeah, UCLA and Arizona, that's it. Nobody else. Nobody else. No. Nope. Uh, I know you had some thoughts on South Dakota State. Um, uh, games I'm looking forward to this week. Yes, yep. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Kansas State plays at Kansas. They I feel like they just played two weeks ago. That game is uh, on ESPN Plus, and I oh. saw that I think it's West Virginia and TCU is on ESPNU. Yet we have a top ten matchup on ESPN Plus. I don't what? get this Big Twelve Network or whatever the hell this is. Yeah, what make what sense does this make? 
it's a good way to get people to buy your network or whatever, but nobody can see these games, and I'm not watching this because I can't. But why would you not put even Kansas, Kansas State on ESPNU? Put Baylor TCU or a TCU West Virginia on ESPN Plus, for goodness sakes. People are dumb. People are stupid. Yes. And, I, and there's been a lot of Big 12 games that I have not been able to watch. Mm-hmm. So that's tomorrow. Kansas State won the first go around. I wonder when the Big 10 officially leaves ESPN at the end of this year. If we'll start getting more love for the Big 12. Probably. Probably. Uh, Wednesday night, Providence and Xavier. Good old 5.30 start on FS1. Oh, yes. Yep. Like that. I hate Thursdays because that's when the uh, Pac-12 plays. But nothing happens on Thursdays. Uh, Saturday, always a big day. Mm-hmm. Kansas and Iowa State. Uh... Miami and Clemson. You got Purdue at Indiana. Show me something, Indiana. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. You got Texas at Kansas State. You got Gonzaga at St. Mary's. I'm going to say Georgetown beats Connecticut. Nice. That's That's how much respect I have for Connecticut. That's on Saturday. So, uh... And I'm not, uh, not big on Houston. They've been a Final Four team for me. I'm not big on Houston. They're just kind of getting by. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I still think come tournament time, though, they're a very dangerous team. Well, they lost to Temple there last week. They, you know, their conference isn't great. So it's, what, a two-bit, two-bit league? Mm-hmm. So. That's always tough. That it is. Um, but thought you, you, we were talking a little bit before we started recording this about the Jacks. Um, oh, God. You know, we're man, losing to Kansas City with five minutes to go. It's just very frustrating because they beat Boise State this year. They lost to Akron by one. I mean, both those teams are either leading – or right up there in their respective conferences. Very frustrating team. A bad year for them. But with that being said, they are still third in the conference. Yep. A really bad year for them means that they are still number two. Mm-hmm. Does this conference suck? Yeah. They can sleepwalk their way to the semifinals. Maybe even the championship if the bracket turns out right. Like if if they need to beat North Dakota State on a Monday night to get there, I think they can do that. I agree. North Dakota State's not good this year. No, they've so, lost like all their games that they've lost in conference play, apart from Oral Roberts, which is what thirty nine, have been close. Six point loss to North Dakota State. Yeah. Uh, six point loss to St. Thomas. Eight point loss to Western Illinois. That was in overtime. They were up by 22. That's what hurts the most about that. Um, I would love to see them play Oral Roberts in the championship game just to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got to get there. Yep. Oral Roberts trying to go undefeated in conference a year after yeah. the Jacks do it. They'll um, be a trendy uh, upset pick. For sure. For sure. 
Yeah, I don't. And why do the Jackrabbits play so bad in the second half? Like that's that's the I think uh, an issue you need to look into. Um, they need to hope that Zeke Mayo doesn't transfer. That's what they need. I don't think he will if they keep bringing in the good recruits. Pretty. Sh- he's a sophomore and he's been carrying this team. Yes, he has. Yes, so, he has. Uh, good for him. Um, why aren't the women getting any votes for the top twenty-five? People uh, think we're San Diego State. Oh, okay. Because you know they, if they weren't ranked at the end of the conference, at the end of the non-conference, and they're, then that's their only shot. They they can't beat a USD this year to have a good win. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they they had shots four good wins. They've got a couple of good wins, but yeah, like they yeah, they. They don't need to play any close games. They should go into the tournament. And what do we got here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They have ten games left. They'll go into the tournament twenty-eight and five, and be a, I don't know what, what seed they'd be. Would they be a ten seed? I don't know. Right now, uh, Charlie Cream has them as a twelve seed. I think that'd be about perfect, though, wouldn't it? I'd say, yeah, twelve or an eleven. Because if you're a 10 seed, you don't like that because you got to play a two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made the uh, what they made the Sweet 16 was it was it a 12? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I mean if they're a 12 seed, they should they should win their. I mean the, the Sweet 16 is form right there. If they can be a a 12 seed, it's right there. Mm-hmm. If they really want to get fancy, they lose in the uh, in the summer league. They'd be a 13 seed. And uh, Ooh. do that. So, yeah, this is a team that uh, I mean, they've been scoring a lot of points recently. A lot of points. Yep, I like it. I like what they're doing. It's. Uh, I'm just surprised. That, I mean, I know it, it, the level of competition is rather inferior, but like they're clobbering teams, and you have a lot of other teams, you know, in, in women's basketball that are losing. Games, you know, that have lost more games than the Jacks, and the Jacks have good non-conference wins. Um, show some respect. Uh, Bader Shireman having a good year for Creighton. His number is down ever so slightly from what he did last year. Like, I don't see him being an NBA player, but and people will talk about him, and every game I. Watch of him. They mentioned he went to South Dakota State. That's awesome. And, huh? That's awesome. Yeah. Good publicity. And like every game that I watch, it's like, oh, here's here's Billy Johnson who came over from Baylor. He now plays for Memphis. Here's here's Jack Smith. He plays for Wisconsin now. He's a he's a transfer from uh, UCLA or whatever. It's like every guy they mention is a transfer from somewhere. And that's the that's the part that's getting a little ridiculous in all of this. And then, like, you just think about, okay, Oral Roberts, they're going to make the tournament. Like, when, when has anybody on, on the ESPN set ever seen Oral Roberts play this? They played what they played, and they played Alabama, maybe. Yeah, they played New Mexico, so they, there's that. They, they, they played Houston. They played St. Mary's. That's it. They also played a Rogers State and Ozarks Christian, along with uh, Oklahoma Baptist, which they won by twelve. 
So, so who the who the hell on ESPN is watching watching Oral Roberts? They're going to say, "Oh, look at Max A. Smithson and this and that." But nobody watched him. Like when South Dakota State was really good, when were they watching South Dakota State? Oh, Mike Dom, oh guy that can shoot. Nate Walters is great. First off, how are they going to find the game in the first place? It's a little bit easier now with ESPN Plus. Most of the games are on there. Mm-hmm. But when I hear these bozos talk about whoever they're going to talk about, Charleston, you can't find a, you can't fucking find Charleston. How the hell would you watch a Charleston game if you wanted to? You know who knows about Charleston? John Rothstein from CBS Sports Network. I be- like he. I would believe he would watch them, and he's watched them. Yes. All these other guys, no. Yes, uh, no, no that's believe. what I'm saying. It's like he's the only one out there. Do I believe Seth Greenberg's going to watch Charleston? No. Do I believe Jay Billis is going to watch Oral Roberts? No. The bigger you are on the chain, the less you know about these smaller schools. For sure. Absolutely. So, that, those are my thoughts for the day. Absolutely. Uh, anything else we need to get to before we say so long? Got a game in Sioux Falls tomorrow I'm excited about. Ooh. Boys basketball, it's number one Jefferson. They're 12-0. and 0. Take on Mitchell, there's number three. They're 9-2. Ooh, excellent. So, uh, exciting game coming up tomorrow. So looking forward to that. What's the uh, like? Uh, Mitchell boys gonna do well this uh, to keep doing well this year? Is this uh, a bit of a surprise um, season so far? What, what's the what? What was your level of expectation for them this year? They've exceeded it. They lost their best player, Caden Anker. He went to Augustana. He averaged around twenty points a game. He was second in school history in scoring. And. I didn't vote for Mitchell. I, I didn't vote like the first month of the high school polls because I haven't seen a game. And I have no idea who what. Uh, one person, I don't know who it was, voted Mitchell fifth in the preseason poll, so they got one vote. And now they're up to number three. They're nine and two. They lost to number two, Sioux Falls Lincoln, 67-66 two weekends ago in a very good game. And they also lost to Harrisburg three weeks ago, so they have two not bad losses. They're a very um, they don't rely on one guy. So That's good. It's a very fun team to watch. Like everybody who plays is good. You have some teams that, you know, sometimes they put guys out there, it's like, well, he's not that good. Mm-hmm. But they, they play pretty much seven guys and they're all starter caliber uh, and they are, everybody's good. They got seven above average players. So I think they're better than they were last year. Like they, they have to win a first round state tournament game like that. So we will see. I mean, Jefferson's 12 and 0. They're number one. So we will see, see how that goes. Well, yeah, Mitchell, they've exceeded expectations. But I'd say right now they're at number three, and that is properly ranked. And number three. All right. Well, this might be the best team they've had in, in 10 years. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Well, uh, fun with the call. Good luck. And uh, have a great rest of your week. Uh, enjoy the Pro Bowl and the NHL. God damn you, I was going to say that. You fucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
which which one will you watch more of? The NHL All-Star Game or the Pro Bowl? Pro Bowl games, I should say. It's not the Pro Bowl. It's the Pro Bowl games. Is the NHL All-Star Game also this weekend? Yes, it is. What channel is that on? Uh, ABC. ABC had a triple header of NBA, which I couldn't believe. What's up? Oh, boy. I don't know. Maybe the football just to see what they're doing. Sure. I do because what they're going to have a flag football thing. They're going to have other competitions. Yep. Yes, it's not oh. a game. It's the it's the games they say. So that's that's. So good. how long is this thing going to take? Three hours? Po- probably. I mean, is it at the uh, Bay? It's at the Raider Stadium. Yes. Yes. It'll be. I might just tune in just to see what happens and. The Manning brothers, they, they, they save the day again. That they do. Whatever they're on, they make it better. So, uh, answer will probably be the Pro Bowl just to see what is going on. All right. That's very good. That's uh, I'm sure it will get... What's going to get more ratings? Oh, Christ. The Pro Bowl or NASCAR's dealio at uh, oh, the yeah, Coliseum? Um... The Pro Bowl. You could put on. You could put a picture of a football on the screen for three hours, and ten million <laughs> people would watch it. Um, yeah, the NASCAR thing that'll be interesting again. So. Are you gonna watch that? You gonna, did you watch that last year at all? Nope. And nope. The the LA Coliseum, a racetrack. It's very small. Yes. Yes. Uh, and how many cars are on that track? Like, do they you get it? about 40, but they had to divide it up into heats and stages because, Christ, yeah. the, the 40th car would be a lap down already before it started. Right. So you got to, I think they limit it to around 20 cars per per race. So. Makes sense. Makes sense. You want to uh, take a guess at the, the, the Oral Roberts USB score tonight? I have. I saw it uh, earlier. Has it gotten now? Is it 90 to 40? It's 103 to 50. Nice. Nice. Good can't job. You, can't you just wait for those 7-10 matchups and that 8-9 matchup on a, on a Friday night stack? And can't you just wait? Of all the years to do it, I can't wait for 1-9 for North Dakota to make the trip to Sioux Falls so that they can play USD. Does that at fucking does, six o'clock on a Friday night in front of twelve people? Do, well, I was gonna say, what gets uh, what gets more attendance, the Friday session or a Sunday session? Oh, Sunday, because the SSU people have finally showed up. Okay. I mean, what what a joke! I mean, we knew it was a joke, but what a joke! It's just it's dumb when you don't have teams that are eligible. Like St. Thomas, I don't believe is eligible yet. So why are they there? You, you do this for money, but who is buying? How much money could they possibly be making on two extra games? On ticket sales, sponsorships, and whatever else. Because I always say if I have no idea why something's going on, it's because of money. Mm-hmm. Why do we need to see any of Why do we need to see Omaha take on whoever? Friday night at 8.30. That's exactly right. 
Exactly right. That, I mean, that women, the women's game is going to be great. At noon on a Friday. Boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's let's see who would be who would be the seven ten matchup right now. I assume that's what it's going to be, right? Seven ten. Yeah, seven ten eight nine because you'd have to play the one in the. I've been watching. I've been watching these tournaments for the past fifteen years, thinking. You know, I wish that nine and ten seed could get in. I just, I just wonder what would happen. <laughs> well, if I, you know, if, you know, those IUPUI teams that were, you know, two and sixteen in conference. I just wonder, you know, what what what, what would happen if they would have made the tournament? You know. Yep. So right now, seven ten matchup, and on the women's side, Denver against the Ruse. Okay. Western Illinois against St. Thomas. That's that's on the oh, women's. You sold me there. I mean, that, that sells itself. That really does sell itself. How many fans are going to come for that? I mean, St. Thomas may bring some fans. Western Illinois, uh, no, probably not. Western there Illinois. Will not be, there, there will not be 500 people in the stands for any of those games. Not, oh, so, not, even, for those women's games? Even even Jackrabbit fans, they, they won't decide no. to come? Okay. Well, we don't play until Saturday at noon. We're not getting here. Maybe. That's what I want. How many SDSU fans are going to these Friday afternoon games? Yeah. Well, because they carry the Sunday attendance. So. There'll be more people at the state tournament for whatever. Double-A girls, double-A boys. Rapid City, Sioux Falls, whoever the hell plays whoever, than any of these games. Yes. What a, this, this is going to cost more money than it's worth. On the men's side, it would be St. Thomas against UND, Omaha against Denver. So, there you go. Denver could fly in that night and they could fly back right away. Yep. And so, so, so St. Thomas could just take a bus. Oklahoma, yeah. Omaha, oh, 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 take a bus, too. Yeah. Everyone, take a bus. Yikes. Oh, so, uh, Sacramento Kings are good. I know you like that. Yes. Yep. We always like Vladi Divox and uh, oh. uh, Stoyakovich. Oh. They're the... Uh, another uh, game I don't get, they were... Uh, Timberwolves were like a one-point favorite at home versus Sacramento. And it is a one-point game with five minutes left, so I guess that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, the Kings are the three-seed. They're going to make the playoffs, and they're number three, so good for them. That's awesome. And the Jackrabbit men have held on. They've beaten the Rose. 67-66. Back and forth game in the final two minutes. Tyler Merriam with the call on the big Zeke Mayo free throws. And I believe... uh, I believe UMKC was a two-point undercover. Ooh, they covered. Oh, let's see what happened here. Um, game over? Yeah, the game's over. Uh, Shur- Shamari Allen missed a jumper with one second to go, and they got it. It's a team offensive rebound. But, oh, wait, Kansas City was a two-point favorite. No, they were a two-point favorite. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Ugh. It's a bad beat right there. Not really. Um, that hurts the heart stacking. Jesus. 
fun in the background. Oh, boy. That's great. Great stuff. All right, friend, I hope you have a great rest of your week. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the college basketball. Enjoy the week of no NFL, no football, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, see you later. Travis Grimm's joining me here, Sports Block Podcast. Always appreciate his time. As always, great stuff there. Lots of football talk. Again, can't, uh, you know, we do the foot, the recap, but Chiefs beat the the uh, Bengals 23-20, game marred by officiating. The, the 49ers lose to the Eagles 31-7. Again, officiating there. The Devontae Smith catch, the Chimpy, it was, it was bad. It was bad all the way around. Um, but we have an Eagles-Chiefs Super Bowl. That will be what we focus on next week. We'll preview that. We'll make our predictions here. But I think we both are kind of feeling the same uh, regarding who wins that game. Uh, we hopefully, we're going to try and get an old friend on the show, Jeff Lloyd II from the Lockdown Browns podcast, because we have college football all-star games this week, the East-West Shrine game. We have the Senior Bowl. So let's uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about some prospects. Hopefully, we'll try and get him on. I mentioned that last week. We're still trying to land him for this week, so we'll hopefully do that. If not, we'll uh, come back and wrap up a few things on this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Just search Sports Block. Follow me on Twitter, at Andy Stacken, Facebook, Nathan Stacken. Travis on Twitter, at Travis Grins. A link to the podcast post the middle to later part of each week. Jeff Lloyd II from the Lockdown Browns podcast. Maybe joining us next. We'll find out. Or we'll wrap up this week's edition. You just never know. So come back. Stay tuned. Hope you're enjoying this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Available on podcast.com and on iTunes. We're continuing here on the Sports Block Podcast. Only two teams remain uh, in the NFL Super Bowl next week. That means every other NFL team is getting ready uh, for the NFL draft and scouting combines. But before that, of course, we have the Senior Bowl and the East-West Shrine Bowl. And who better to break that down than our good friend from the Lockdown Browns Podcast, Jeff Lloyd II. Jeff, I think this is year seven or eight for us. Uh, how you been? Thanks so much, as always, for coming on the podcast. It's been a long time, and uh, appreciate you coming back on for this season. It's uh, it's going to be a fun one, I think. Uh, you know, always a good time, Nathan. And actually, you know, for the two of us here, you know, my kids now are teenagers. Uh, when we started doing this, you weren't even a dad. Yeah. So um, it, it's certainly been a nice ride to have these conversations year in, year out, of course. Yeah, I always appreciate it. And, uh yeah, it, it should be a lot of fun this year. We're going to have another good uh, and a good cro- a good group of NFL draft prospects, and it all really culminates or begins this week. We have the East-West Shrine game Thursday night. We have the Senior Bowl in Mobile on Saturday. And so we'll, we'll just kind of focus right now here on the Senior Bowl, and they're getting some good practices in. Uh, I've heard the Several players really kind of standing out uh, so far. What have you taken away so far from the practices at the Senior Bowl? Uh, I think you've seen a lot of positives. Um, it, it seems as this goes and as you know the emphasis goes, and this probably has something to do with you know the Shrine Bowl becoming. I don't want to say competitor, but you know this is something where both of them can work together. Mm-hmm. And if at the end of the day, if the objective for both games is to get as many eyes, many ears, you know, many views as they can on every prospect for the draft. Obviously, it works out. Um, I think you've seen a lot, you know, a lot of good, solid, clean play. Like um, kids are there; they're dedicated, and you know, we, we always understand that with the draft. And this year's a little weird because there's less underclassmen. Um, 
but I, I think these guys are starting to just even grow more into it, understanding, say, hey, you know, for the underclassmen, it, it, it's great, but, you know, we get this opportunity. Um, and, you know, for some of these players, you know, they're competing against a guy, you know, who left early, you know, maybe in a little bit better position right now in front of scouts. Um, but, you know, you get weeks like this and guys go out there and really perform. So this year, specifically related to the Senior Bowl, uh, you're having some older players because of that extra year of COVID uh-huh. eligibility and stuff. How do you think that's going to to change the approach of any of these teams, if at all? Like, does it does it matter? You know, you do have some guys who are a year older than what they otherwise might have been come draft time in a normal year. Um, as you know, Nathan, and you know, for anybody who's maybe listening for the first time, uh, I. Uh, cover the Cleveland Browns for the Locked On Podcast Network. The Cleveland Browns, they usually will not draft a player who is you know a month or two older than 22. They just don't draft them. If you were older than that, they have interest in you as an undrafted free agent. Um, but we do have to see if teams who think like this, and the Browns certainly aren't the only one, mm-hmm. but do teams have to understand, say, look, well, you know, that rules out how much percentage of this draft. You know, so if that rules out 30% of the draft, do you basically now have to say, well, we like this player enough, he fits in, or do we waive it all together? Because you're putting yourself in a difficult spot. I mean, your job is to go into a draft and nail it and get as many solid players as you can. So for you know teams that focus and take, you know, the age, the athletic, the statistical performance and make sure that they have somebody who met all three criterias, do you kind of have to maneuver on that? Mm-hmm. We'll see. Obviously, you know, we can't tell now. Nobody's going to – obviously, if we got anybody from any front office, nobody would tell us what their strategy was. We'll have to see if it does affect it. Um, I think there's going to be some teams that are just going to be forced to say, hey, you know, maybe that is what our true belief is, um, but we might have to go the other way on this one because otherwise, you know, I'm taking a player who maybe didn't meet the other two. Maybe he wasn't as athletic. Maybe he wasn't as productive in college. Um, and am I going to ding a guy for being 18 months older than him? Um, it's a tough call, and we'll see how it plays out in this draft. I mean, I look at a guy like John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota. He's certainly one of the older guys there, but he's arguably one of the best centers, if not the best center in the draft. Would you agree with that? When you look at a player like that, it, you know, the, the, the story of how he got there is you know something you have to ponder. But... In the same respects, um, and because of his age, maybe you know that kicks him out of the first round. But can I get my starting center on a little bit of a cheaper contract? And I probably have zero issues about his maturity, about his ability to make the calls, being my center. You know, and even if I get it for five years, four years, five years, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, if the guy can do the job, the guy can do the job. Um, and I think this maybe affects in some positions more than other. You know, interior offensive line play, you figure the body's maxed out. The guys are to where they need to be physically. Um, you know, you take guys at a skill position and say, oh, well, maybe he's, you know, 10 pounds heavier than we'd like. Or, you know what, if we get him seven pounds of real muscle onto his frame from where he is now. So it's all a differing of opinions. But, you know, look, if you, you've got to be your starting center and you can maybe get him in the second or third round, there's really no reason to even worry about the fact that he's a little bit older than you desire. Absolutely. You know, we're looking at, you know, obviously quarterbacks dominate the headlines and whatnot, and we're going to see a lot of quarterback dominoes fall uh, this year in the offseason. I mean, the NFC South is going to have all new quarterbacks potentially. Uh, We don't know where Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr are going, so that 
uh, certainly will determine maybe which teams in the draft are going to look for a quarterback. But let's talk about some of these quarterbacks here. You know, you have Malik Cunningham from Louisville. I really like uh, the the kid from Fresno State, uh, Hayner. I think he could be a very good uh, steal, maybe a third or fourth round for a team like maybe the Minnesota Vikings who are looking to move, uh, looking for the future outside of Kirk Cousins and stuff. Who who of these quarterbacks uh, are you really intrigued by this week down in Mobile? Well, I think Malik. Cunningham is fun. Obviously, you know, you go the Louisville pedigree, you know, guys that have been there. Um, but I do agree with you with Jake Hanner. He just, he just kind of has like that quiet confidence about himself and like almost carries himself like, yeah, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to be here. Um, but the, you know, the ball's coming out. It's crisp. It's on time. And the one thing you look for with this is timing. You know what I'm saying? We see mm-hmm. so many catches, you know, with a receiver who's wide open, but yet he has to, sh- you know, shuttle down, catch the ball. And look, granted, these guys are new to each other, but you're not running, you know, these elaborate routes in these drills. So it ne- doesn't necessarily matter that it's not the guy you played three years with. It's a guy that you just met on Sunday. These throws should come out, you know, and they should be made. They should be had. Um, I'll be honest. And for people I've talked to, it's it, and it's sad because, you know, if you follow it and you watch it, there hasn't been a lot emphasized on the quarterbacks in this class. And we understand most of these guys here are not the you know, top talking points of this class. Mm-hmm. But everybody who meets with Hendon Hooker seems to come away very, very impressed. And, you know, there's going to be teams that are in a situation where they might not be able to afford to draft a quarterback in the top 15, top 20 in this draft class. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something they can figure out, you know, mid to late second round. And a guy like, you know, Hendon Hooker comes in there. Yes, granted, a little bit older. But again, on a quarterback, for me, I'll waive that. I truly will. But everybody seems that they've been taken away with Hendon Hooker this week. Uh, obviously, his play at Tennessee this fall spoke for itself. Um, but everything seems to be there with him. You know, he obviously can't do anything physically. Mm-hmm. But as far as, you know, where the, everybody thinks he's at, everybody seems very, very impressed. How about Max Duggan? I mean, came out of nowhere, really put together the the Heisman Trophy resume season for TCU, loses in the the, uh, national championship game. What can he do to um, increase his draft stock this week in Mobile? Well, this is where it's tough for, you know, a guy like him because TCU, for everything you did this year, you know, it's not like you were – you know, trying to change up your system to make him, it looks like he looks like a guy who performed really well in a college offense. And it's not that there aren't spots for him within the NFL. Um, but Max Duggan, he'll be a day three pick. Um, the thing we don't know, and nobody will know until Max Duggan, you know, ingratiates himself into the NFL life, is what kind of student of the game he is. You know, where is he, you know, as a film watcher? Does he have the ability to be a Chase Daniel on the NFL? Nobody truly knows that, but it's, you know, for a guy like him, you know, uh, a fan favorite, I'm just going to throw this out there. Mm hmm. Maybe the Houston Texans, because you're not really sure where you are anywhere at the quarterback position. But maybe you go get whatever guy you're going to get with one of your first two round picks. You bring him in later in the fold. It's not a bad idea to you know pump up a fan base. You know what I'm saying by bringing some Texas blood into it. Yep. Um, and you know, for him, it's it's just going to all be about fit. Do I think you know he's a long term NFL starter? Probably not, but it's this is the sad conversation we have to have this time of year. 
I really like a lot of these running backs that are in Mobile this week. Uh, Chris Rodriguez Jr. from Kentucky. Um, Ty J. Spears from Tulane is a guy I think a lot of people are going to... Uh, I think his draft stock's going to go up quite a bit here with what he's doing. It sounds like he's done a couple of good things already down in Mobile. And then you get to a guy like Chase Brown from Illinois and stuff. I think he, I mean, he had a great year for the Illini. So what, uh, what do you make of the running backs down there and who's really stuck out to you thus far? Um, first things first, I think, and Nathan, we've always talked about this and we talked about it over the years, especially when it's guys who are not coming from, you know, the power five conferences, so to mm-hmm. speak. It's, you know, how do you do when we start, you know, up in, you know, the competition? Yep. Everybody knows what Ty J Spears did in that bowl game. I have, um, you know, I, I know a player from, you know, who graduated from my alma mater, my high school alma mater, who is on the Tulane team. You know, so, you know, we talked, uh, obviously, you know, through, you know, throughout the fall, just seeing how things were going. And mm-hmm. you said the thing with Ty J Spears is Ty J Spears already carried himself like an NFL player. You know, like calling guys out, like, look, you know, you're supposed to be in there for an hour, man. It looks like you only have 40 minutes. So a solid, solid guy within the locker room. But it, he knows who he is. You know, he's a smaller, quicker guy. Um, you see it translate. Uh, if anybody did not see the route today, he basically ran an open an open uh, on a linebacker today where basically the linebacker thought he was, you know, pushing out his shoulder. He went under, cut back on the inside. Um, you see a guy with a lot of potential. Um, you know, you look and view him. Look, the receiving aspect is a big, big part of the NFL right now as far as the running backs. You look at the way the Chiefs work their running backs. Whoever is the best receiver at the time, who's ever the hottest receiving running back, is the one that gets the most playing time. Ty J. Spears has shown this week that he can do both and do them very well. Um, I agree with you, uh, you know, on Rodriguez from Kentucky. Um, the Northwestern kid has shown you know some great north-south ability, mm-hmm. and you know a chance to actually you know battle through tackles as well. Um, I really, really like Kenny McIntosh. Some of the things I'm talking about with Ty J Spears, I think Kenny McIntosh works right into that. You go to the playoff game against Ohio State. I'm sorry, you know, where he takes the you know the slot screen, takes it to the house. Mm-hmm. That's your starting running back. That is your starting running back, and he's got that type of ability. Yep. Um, running back class. Uh, you know, I know it seems a lot of people are down on it but for me it's all about where you view it i mean if you view you know b john robinson obviously going extremely high in this draft mm-hmm. but a majority of this class going maybe late second round in then on and maybe none of them to be true number running number one running backs but parts of a room like a ty j spears for me uh chris uh, mcintosh for me i think they fit very well with a guy like nick chubb because i think these guys do a lot of things well that maybe star running backs in the nfl don't how about some of the pass catchers? I know Jaden Reed from Michigan State was catching some eyes from people the other day. Uh, tight ends, wide receivers. Who who's looking good so far this week, and who do you have your eye on uh, for Saturday? Uh, no question. Um, for me, uh, there's one Andreas Ovis, uh, obviously for Princeton. It's a great story, great athlete, um, and I think as in another thing we always talk about, you know, try even if you didn't do well Monday. You know, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you start to stack together better days. That's always something that you know, as scouts down there always appreciate that a player can take coaching uh, and basically essentially run with it. You know, so he's been good in that. Um, one downer for me a little bit, Rasheed Rice. Uh, a little bit of difficulty, it seems like, getting out of press coverage as far as getting people off him. Of, you know, when hands are on. Uh, you know, and that's it's a bad sign when you're doing it in Mobile because – it's basically you and the defensive back in the entire field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that you can't get off and get, you get some separation certainly, certainly, you know, creates 
you know, uh, a thought or two. Um, I think Michael uh, Wilson from Stanford this week. And New York Stanford's been a down, down program for the last couple of years. Obviously, really, really tough to get the right student athletes into that school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see Michael Wilson is a lot better than maybe, you know, what a Stanford tape was. Uh, Trey Palmer out at Nebraska looks like he's got a nice body and he can get deep and down the field. He's uh, put together a nice couple of weeks. Ronnie Bell has this little interesting thing where nothing stands out, but you consistently look and it's like, well, he made a play with a back shoulder catch or, oh, he went low under the GP for a catch. Ronnie Bell's got a nice little game, even if he's going to be a guy who doesn't really test like a great, great athlete. Uh, let's go, I guess, I, just to, to finish on the offensive side of the football, the offensive line. I mentioned um, Schmitz earlier. Uh, there's the, the guy, oh, was it Mock or whatever? Mock from uh, North Dakota State. Cody Mock, uh, he's done a few good things here. What, uh, who along the offensive line has uh, opened your eyes so far? I think the thing with Cody Powers, and, and you know, obviously, you know, I'm sure you know, but well, you know, a, a, you know, being out in that area, yeah, just a, just a goofball, but he's really he's really good, and you know, basically, he got there and said, you know, from what I understand, they want me to play almost every offensive line position while I'm here, and he's like, I'm totally cool with that, you know, totally, uh, and like this is the biggest stage for a guy like him. He's not coming from a Michigan pedigree mm-hmm. and not that North Dakota State. I mean, if you're talking that level of football, that is basically, you know, the holy grail right now. Um, but you get him in there and he's thrilled to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and yep. the thing is, is you saw glimpses of everything he could be. He's going to be an interior offensive line player. He's going to be a very, very good one. And, you know, I mean, the guy really likes his Stromboli. That works for me. Obviously, I got no issues from that. Um, but then we get to, obviously, uh, the big tackle from Ohio State. Um, I think he's played better than people anticipated. Um, you get to a situation like this, and I think what their thought process was is, you know what I'm saying? All right, he's going to go against athletes now, you know, the top of the top athletes. And, you know, how is he going to fare in that respect? And he's held up, and he's held up extremely well, and he's just absolute unit of a specimen 89 plus wingspan he's been fantastic this week really really solid player um and you know right tackle we have these questions every year you know where do you value it is it first round worthy mm-hmm. this guy might be first round worthy i mean you're gonna talk about a guy that's gonna go in there and he's gonna give you, you know, a decade at the ohio state uh, a decade uh at the right tackle position you know mm-hmm. daywan jones will be a really really solid football player on the flip side, on the defensive side of the football, a number of good guys that are down in Mobile this week along the defensive line. So staying in the trenches there, who do you, uh, who's uh, a name to watch out for this week? Uh, for me, first one um, from Wisconsin, uh, Keanu Benton. Um, and this is a guy we were looking forward to this week for. As Browns fans, we have zero to offer on the interior defensive line. Um, but there's a little bit more athlete to him. Then I think a lot of people understood six foot four, three fifteen, every inch of it, every pound of it. But you know, there's there's left to right mobility. This guy is agile. But you, what when you see guys agile, you know, are we getting the power as well? The power is there. You know, he can walk people back. Um, he's definitely a guy, and you know, it might even be as early as forty two for the Browns. Their top draft selection in this draft. He's just really, really shown well. And, you know, the Browns who need to prioritize interior uh, defensive line play because they've ignored it for so long and they've drafted it, but they drafted it, you know, 
not basically on guys getting better, thinking guys were good enough when they drafted them, and they just really haven't been able to do anything else to you know change that that theory. And now they're going to be forced to because obviously Jim Schwartz is going to come in, you know, mm-hmm. with a strong, strong emphasis on trying to prove the defensive line play. Byron Young from Alabama, he's just solid. Just gets it done. Um, really consistent player, you know going to be a star? Probably not. But, you know, you look for those guys who can get it done, you know, week in, week out. Uh, you know, Jalen Redmond from Oklahoma quietly has had a pretty nice week for himself. Uh, Zach Dickens out of South Carolina. South Carolina's had a couple of guys with de- you know, decent shows this week. He's been, you know, another player, too. Um, you know, the pass rushers, there's not a ton of them down here right now. you got a guy like Carl Brooks who looks like he's going to portray as a really, really good uh, interior player at a odd size of like six foot three ten isaiah folks he's had a nice week there's players here but you know everybody's got the eyes on a guy like will anderson and understandably so mm-hmm. but the group down there hasn't been bad how about in the middle there the linebackers uh who who's a, a name that is going to really stand out from the week and in saturday's game uh, Pittsburgh, Savesa uh, uh, Winters, I'm sorry, Savesa Davis and Dennis yep. has been really solid this week. Uh, shows really good coverage skills. And that's the thing, like, if you see a guy make a play in coverage and something like this, you come away, in my opinion, a little bit more impressed than you would if it was a game rep because there's no really rhyme or rhythm to what's going on. So a guy as a linebacker, you know, makes that read off a running back he's never played against before, ends up with an interception. Like you show like, wow, it's like, man, you pick that up that quickly. That's an impressive, impressive trait for me to, you know, in my opinion, in like that. Ivan Pace Jr. He's gonna get dinged because he's undersized. I like the player. I do. I think he's just feisty. I think he's a little bit of a pain in the butt. Uh, always, always, always around uh, you know, the ball, um, Dejon Henley, Washington State, I think a little bit underrated coming out of the Pac-10. I think he's done a little good job for him this stuff this week. And I'll mention Andre Carter here. And I was just going to mention him, yep. I don't know where, because, you know, the Andre Carter this week is playing linebacker. I think Andre Carter gets drafted as a third defensive end, maybe somewhere in that second round. Um, there's some work to be done. Uh, and obviously, you know, going to a school like Army, his commitments, you know, versus, you know, a normal Division One athlete's commitments, mm-hmm. you know, there's always issues with that. So, you know, is he a finished product in the weight room? No. But I think there is a ton of potential there. And I think people, uh, you watched Army, look, I mean, they played a lot of teams that ran the ball more than they threw it. Um, so, you know, Army tried to have them play as like a linebacker, as like their best athlete at times, trying to, you know, you know, make things happen that way. I think he's a straight, straight edge pass rusher. All the thing is there, the size, the length. I think the body weight just needs to get corrected. Little, you know, legs are a little light, but I, I think you have a potential, you know, for probably a guy who certainly has the potential, in my opinion, to be a, you know, a 10 sack player, uh, you know, per year. There's just going to be a little work and there's going to need to be a little patience, a little development, but Andre Carter is a special, special player. Well, and he could be the highest uh, drafted player from Army in years or maybe ever, right? I mean, this is a, a, a highly touted prospect from Army that you don't normally see, from, especially from the military oh, academies. Oh, no doubt. And like, it's, 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 it's still a weird story. And then if everybody remembers, I guess it was what, probably four, six weeks ago at this point, you know, whether there was the question of whether or not, you know, the eligibility was, you know, still 
going to be there for mm-hmm. him. And it was like, I mean, come on, man. I mean, like, you can't tell this kid at the 11th hour yep. that something might be an issue. Um, and from everything, obviously, all the time he spent there, you know, the time he spent there, understanding he still owes a commitment there. You know, you just, and for me, that, you know, we always worry about the type of guys we're drafting as far as, you know, the type of young men they are, the decisions they make. Uh, this guy's already committed a lot to the, you know, obviously, you know, to, to, you know, Army. He mm-hmm. still has more to commit. You know, I, you know, you like to draft players and so you say, you know what? He you know, needs a little work. He's mature. Work ethic is never a stinking question. Nope. That's the kind of guy I want to roll the dice on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And finally, in the back. We, we don't get a lot of these kids from the service academies that we can talk about in this situation. You know, most of them, they're, they're afterthoughts, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And finally, there in the secondary, what are some guys, who are some guys that have really done a, well, a good job so far this week? Well, you have some cornerbacks right down there. And yep. these guys, the ability, the size of some of these guys, Illinois, like, I don't even know how they pulled it off. A ton, a ton of defensive backs this season. Uh, you know, Sidney Brown, uh, obviously, also, you know, Jeterius Martin. That's not even counting Witherspoon, who most people feel is the consensus number one corner in the draft. So, you know, Illinois, whatever your decision was to move on from Lovey Smith, uh, I'd love for you to share it with the rest of the class oh, because Brett, Brett he, brought you in, he brought you in some serious, serious, serious players. Um then you go to South Carolina, um, and this has been a guy for me. Um, the Browns drafted uh, Martin Emerson last year, um, and just a unique guy because I mean he was almost six foot two. Darius Rush is legit six three. He is running routes. He is literally running the routes for the wide receivers. It just blows your mind. And then guess what? There's another guy down there doing the same thing. Julius Brents out of Kansas State, six foot three corners. It, it's it's amazing how much the athleticism continues to evolve that we're talking about guys who are six foot three and can be shut down corners in the NFL. We're talking about guys definitely with like the abilities of an Antonio Cromartie. You don't get these guys often, but it looks like right now you have two guys with that type of potential and you know, they're not going to be some of the top corners in the draft. You know, I saw where rush was maybe even mentioned as a day three guy. I think that's just obliterated out of the water now, but if you can bring, and the thing is, you want to disguise coverage in the NFL so much. So guess what? You take a six foot three safety who's crazy athletic and say, guess what? On this rep, I just want you to play deep center field, use your range, and if you got to break up a pass, break up a pass. You know, as you're always trying to evolve into defense and try to mix things up. Uh, you know, fun, fun group. You know, I really, really you know enjoy just watching these guys because I mean, you know, like we used to say all the time about you know he lost them. Well, what do you do when you got a guy who's almost ready, lost his size, playing cornerback, and you know these guys are getting it done this week. Is, would you say then that the the secondary position or your corners or safeties or whatever has that been the 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 position group that has surprised people the most down in Mobile this week or is there a different position group that uh, maybe you weren't thinking oh it's not quite as loaded in terms of the draft class and they're all of a sudden kind of showing that hey actually this is going to be a pretty deep class. Well, this is where it gets tough because, I mean, you know, you talk about these guys when we talk about these defensive backs, we talk about the wide receivers. You know, the proof will be in the pudding, and we'll see where some of these guys get drafted. You know, were they just overall better players, you know? Um, so that's certainly something. Case, But, again, like we said in the beginning here, it's just watching, like, the involvement of this. And these guys who go, and you notice we didn't get a ton of no's. We did. And I think that, you know, agencies, I think that schools – I think everybody is letting these guys know, like, look, I mean, 
if you're going to commit day one, we'd like you to stick with it, even if I'm a coach at, say, Oklahoma. Because it's an opportunity not just for you, but those down the road. Look, you know, circumstances happen. If you have to pull, you have to pull. Mm-hmm. But you know, you want this opportunity. And I don't think it bothers scouts whether or not you were there, weren't there. I'll say that. Like, I don't think anybody gets dinged for not going. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe there's no way that the guys who do go don't get at least a plus. You know, for going there. And look, it's a tough environment. And ideally, it's made for everybody to look good. We know it doesn't happen. But the guys who do go, you know, for me, I I just think that there's not a way that they're not viewed, you know, more positive. Again, the guys who don't go, it's not a negative on them. But the guys who do go, I definitely think they get a little bit of a positive. So our our heavy emphasis is on the senior bowl, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if, uh, like, what has stuck out to you about the Shrine Bowl? Because the East-West Shrine game is Thursday night. It's before the Senior Bowl. So they've had a few days you know, of practice and stuff before all the, the seniors and whatnot. Is there anyone that uh, that you're really paying attention to at the East-West Shrine game Thursday night that could uh, that could really improve their draft stock and you know just kind of make a lot of, uh, I don't know, scouts drool, so to speak? Look, it's getting better, the Shrine Bowl. And you know the fact that there used to be such a gap between these games, it is not there anymore in any way whatsoever. Um, I, I know Eric Galco, who runs you know, the Shrine Bowl. You know, I've, I've had you know, sit-downs, conversations with him. Um, and just knowing the type of person he is, the passion he puts into it, he did not take this. And you know, he did not make a way for this all to work in Vegas without realizing, you know, and again, I, I, there's no, I, they're not competing against each other. Mm-hmm. They are trying to do everything they can, a to put out a great product for you know all the agencies whose players come there, but for the fans. And you know, look, Mobile, Alabama will always be a staple. Um, but you try to find you know some people who say, hey, you know, oh, we were thinking again, oh, going away, or we were thinking to go, you know, without De- Vegas as a possible destination. Um, the game has grown. It's done a fantastic job. Um, it, it'll continue to be, and it, it's it's going to be tough because there's going to be some really good players that are going to have to make a decision one way or the other. You know, coming down the line, we'll see the way it all plays out. Uh, but you know, the Bowl game, definitely looking forward to it Thursday night. If my old butt can stay awake, but yeah, one hundred percent. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, Jeff, I appreciate the time as always. It's that time of the year. I look forward to to talking with you throughout this whole process as always. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to connect either uh, next week or the week after to kind of recap all this and then get the combine and then uh, we'll get uh, closer and closer to the the draft and one of our favorite times of the year for sure. But as always, appreciate the time. Uh, Be well. Uh, Hope the family's all well and we'll talk soon. Uh, all the best, Nathan, and absolutely, man, we can take this ride together as we always do. You know that. Yes, for sure, for sure. Thank you so much. Enjoy the games. You as well. Have a great day. Thank you. You too, Jeff. Jeff Lloyd the second from the Lockdown Browns podcast. He is the best. We've been doing this now. I don't, I've lost track how many years we've been doing this, but he's absolutely fantastic and love talking about this. this is one of the best times of the year. Uh, you know, we, we love the games and stuff, but it's how how do the games get so great? It's it's the work that's put in now, at these at the East West Shrine Bowl and the, and at the Senior Bowl, you know all these players are you know these scouts, everyone's talking to all these guys. You know are these is this guy the right fit for the team? So 
You have the Shrine Bowl. That's Thursday night. I believe that's at, uh, let's just get it pulled up here, what, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Central Time on the NFL Network. Both games are on the NFL Network. Uh, for sure, you have 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central Time on the NFL Network, and then 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central Time on Saturday is, no, I'm sorry, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 p.m. Central Time on the NFL Network on Sat- on Saturday is the East-West Shrine game, and then Team Gaither against Team Robinson in the HBCU Legacy Bowl that Saturday, February 25th, also on the NFL Network. So looking forward to these and uh, taking this ride with Jeff and with all of you uh, as uh, we... Get closer to the 2023 NFL Draft. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Uh, as always, you can find the podcast available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Just search the Sports Block. Follow Jeff on Twitter. He's a magnificent follow, uh, especially you know if you're a big Browns fan and you want to listen to Locked On Browns podcast, which I highly recommend you do. Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Also follow Locked On Browns podcast at Locked on Browns. So very good stuff there as always. Um, so appreciate the time. Bye, Jeff. Appreciate you for listening this week. Uh, we're not, we already talked about the championship games. So enjoy the Pro Bowl this week. Enjoy the NHL All-Star Game, those festivities taking place down there in South Florida because nothing says hockey like South Florida. So the NHL All-Star Game, the skills competition is Friday uh, it's Friday night. You have the um, All-Star Game on Saturday. The semifinals. Uh, you know they're doing the three-on-three tournaments and whatnot. So look forward to that. And then of course the Pro Bowl uh, skills competition going on Thursday night in Vegas. Then more skills on Sunday along with the Blake football games. Eli and Peyton Manning. And yeah, you can't get enough of the Manning brothers. That's for sure. So again, for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis. And Jeff, I'm Nathan. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's edition. And next week, we're going to talk about all of the, um, all of, all of the, you know, preview the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about Tom Brady's retirement. We're going to talk about Sean Payton going to the Broncos. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's going to the Texans because that news happened after we recorded our the little portion of it with uh, Travis and myself. So we'll talk about all of that because that certainly. Uh, headline-worthy news. We'll talk about the Super Bowl, everything going on down there. Big Super Bowl preview. We'll make our official picks for Super Bowl 57 from Glendale, Arizona. We won't be there, but that's where the Super Bowl is. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis and Jeff, I'm Nathan. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week on a Super Bowl edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.